here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> I like him. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In, like in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Cranch alongside, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Joe Lanza. How's it going? It's going all right. I uh, watched a lot of wrestling. Over the last couple days, and we have a loaded show. We have a ton of stuff to get to. We've got the uh, the two New Japan G1 special shows from Long Beach. We've got the Great Balls of Fire, Rich. <laughs> Goodness gracious, we do. Goodness gracious, uh, I cannot believe it's here already. It's it's you know. Ah, uh, you should be thrown under a bus. They you named their think- pay per view Great. No, 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 no. They named a pay per view Great Balls of Fire in the year 2017. <laughs> They deserve all the shitty jokes that they deserve. They have put them on themselves by calling their pay-per-view Great Balls of Fire. Sorry. We've and then using obvious flaming testicles in their logo, too. So that, That's true. Well, that's, they, they, <laughs> So I'm not going to apologize for that. Is Jerry Lee Lewis dead? Um, I don't think he's dead. No, I believe he's still alive. I don't know how alive, though, because he's got to be like... Well, was he one of those dudes that looked like he was like 67 when he was like 28, right? He's 81 right now. Okay. Yeah, so he's still alive. Yeah, he's still good. Not when did Great Balls of Fire come out? I, I know uh, this is where I would insert a Joe Land old joke, but we, got, we don't have time for that. But uh, was it, it was late 50s, right, for Great Balls of Fire? Like 57, 58, somewhere in that range? I would guess somewhere in that neighborhood, yeah. So I guess he wasn't that old then when he did that. He was, he was born in 1935, so I guess he was pretty young. I was uh, in his early point. 20s, I guess. Yeah, I guess. okay. Well, there we go. So yeah, he's still kicking. 81? I don't know. What, what is it, Jerry can Fucking old. <laughs> where the hell? I, I don't even know where the hell Great Balls of Fire is. Where's 1957? It was a uh, okay. Yeah, 1957. Um, so that would make him what? 22? Yeah, 22. So he's got to go to Dallas. Let's see if we can get Jerry Lee Lewis to Dallas. Where's he living at these days? Per uh... wasn't he? Wasn't he banging some 14 year old or something too during those days? <laughs> Uh oh yes okay no, that was for Wikipedia yes. controversy. yeah Lewis's rock and roll career faltered in the wake of his marriage to his 13 year old first cousin once removed when he was 23 years old so yeah he was 23 she banging was... 13 year old that was also his first cousin so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. well that's uh that'll what that'll you... put a dent in the career even in the 50s believe it or not what are you gonna do that's the American South you know. Right. We got a lot to get to here, so we, we got to get to it. We, yeah, did, you know, we got, let's see, we got the New Japan G1 mm-hmm. specials. We got Great Balls of Fire featuring uh, the very much alive, well, maybe not very much, but the barely alive. Jer- I would love to get him on the show. 
I'd love to interview that man about his 13 year old wife. Is he still married to her? Cause she, uh, like, I closed the page and I don't really feel like opening it up. Again, she's, so. he's pretty young. She's still in her 60s. Right? <laughs> At this so, point, she's pretty spry yeah, that's, that's, or whatever. So, and then we've yeah. got, uh, we've got Slammiversary. Um, and we've got, Oh, I know what I want to do. I got to tell you, Rich. Um, I feel like I feel like I need to explain myself because uh, I was very much annoyed uh, by the reactions that I got from my Shibata take, and I think um, just to, not to interrupt, uh, Lewis has been married seven times, so I do not believe he is still with his. Uh, oh, so the thirteen-year-old is uh, <laughs> is long gone. Yes, so maybe he kept trading him in for younger models. You know, maybe uh, yeah, they don't have the ages listed here, but I would assume that is exactly what he did. So once he once they were of age, then it was a little less creepy for him to marry someone <laughs> yes. or whatever. When he was like forty-five, then he could you know get to the the twenty-one-year-olds or whatever. So forty. Yeah, a lot of these marriages are lasting like they're, they're listing them by days, and that's how you know you've really done it. Like this one says his fifth marriage to Sean Stevens lasted 77 days oh she died okay never mind <laughs> never mind now i feel bad so there's a lot um, of bodies hitting the floor here yeah uh carrie carver 21 years that's not bad jerry Lee lewis the third was born out of that so you know not too bad um yeah okay he's a lot of kids too a lot of a lot of little jerry lee lewis is running around i don't think anyone from saliva <laughs> ever died out. rich i don't i don't know where you got really that. okay oh, are you are you checking that now too i'm i'm Scanning their Wikipedia page. Mu- I must have been thinking Johnny Poole then, because I knew for a fact that Johnny Poole guy died, but I thought somebody from Saliva died. So there, there you go. He, yeah, he's dead for sure. But those are all. Listen, those are all Kevin Dunn bands. You know. <sighs> yeah. Like he's rocking that shit. Like you know he listens to it because he loves it. Like he's still. Well, they were using saliva. saliva in like 2009, and it's like, all right, <laughs> like that's enough of saliva, guys. Like let's let's move it on. And he just now discovered Flow Rider, which is is incredible. Uh, Pitbull as well is a new discovered uh, Kevin Dunn. So now, yeah, we're just now but I don't think just now getting to the Pitbull. No, I don't think he. But he, he, the kids like it, so that's what he's kind of telling them. He's like, yeah, you know what yeah. Kevin Dunn likes? Come on, yeah, oh no, he likes the new metal. He he does he does like the new metal. He like he's a big Lincoln Park fan. Absolutely, yeah. I don't feel like Kevin Lincoln Park though. He's not going to like, I don't know if you've heard New Lincoln Park. I don't think he's going to like New Lincoln Park at all. <laughs> I haven't and I don't want to. Don't. <laughs> he, Kevin Dunn really loves UFC entrance songs. And, indie, and every indie wrestler's theme from 2002 to 2007. Every single indie wrestler. Yeah, the pleather-panted indie wrestler. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? That, yeah, he, he loves with the that high stuff. With like the bicep band, like, you know, the, 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 uh, <laughs> like the sweat band yeah, around their bicep weird. or whatever, yeah. No doubt about it. Or the the uh, the basketball short uh, wearing <laughs> indie wrestler from that era. You know, the basketball short that came down below the knees, right? That guy with like the Asics like amateur wrestling shoes as the footwear. <laughs> right. You know, that's that's <laughs> and like a very loose t shirt. Yeah, like, not his t shirt, just a t shirt because you know it's it's pre-processing these days, so you just had to wear a t shirt, not you know, just yeah, right, just a t shirt. Yeah, a very ill-fitting T-shirt. Like that was the look, you know. I think who who did anyone successfully pull that off? Maybe Jack Evans, right? Jack Evans, maybe. Well, maybe Amazing Red to an extent. Like it kind of worked for Amazing Red, but he he's a little bit different because he had like the kind of the tights. Well, wasn't see Jack Evans' whole thing was that he was white trash, right? So exactly. Yeah, or kind of like a wigger, like a yeah, like a wigger white trash thing that he was going for. It's a white trash thing going on. Yeah, so. That was the look, but these other guys, they just couldn't afford gear, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Jack Evans yeah, like, was intentionally doing it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of what Jack Evans would probably wear anyway. I think it just nah, see, worked. I don't know. I, I, I think that like was his, he was just the white trash guy. So I think it might have been kind of. Uh, I kind of think that's I feel, like it's, I feel like it's suited him, you know? 
But uh, no, I think it's suited because I think that's him. I don't. I, I think that's pretty similar to what Jack Evans would, would yeah. swear. In, in real well, life. he bumps At cigarettes outside water shows from people. Like you know, that's what I mean. Yeah, there. he's kind of white trash anyway. Like in a good way. I, I'm not. You know, I'm not discrediting him at all. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But yeah, no. yeah. Why are you banging on Jack Evans? Huh? I'm not. I'm not. I love him. Okay, go defend trash. yourself. You piece of crap. Well, that, that's not Harvard a real. Bastard. That's not a very good. You know, I got some. I've got some serious subject matter to handle here. That's not a very good. Uh, you know, you're not really. I'll play somber music cleanly here. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll play music underneath. I'm not going to do that. But if I were a good producer and editor, I'd play some somber music right now or something. You know, somber something music. To, something to get in the mood a little bit. You got some heavy stuff going here. So you know, I have nothing to be somber about, and I have nothing to apologize for because uh, I'm going to explain why my point was a good one. And the fact of the matter is, Rich. That it, this is another example, and we've talked, we talked about it months ago, where sometimes on Twitter, it's, you know, it's, you have to understand that, a lot, like in this instance, for, for example, a lot of the people that were outraged and incensed by these comments were people that do not follow us. Are you going to give a little background for people that don't know exactly what you're talking about? Right, sure, that's a good idea. So, um, I, I, Which, by the way, if you don't follow us, I mean, why, at Voices Wrestling, come on, if you're listening yeah. to this, you don't follow us, what are you doing? But anyway, go. Come follow the shit show. So <laughs> join in this horrible, horrible thing. That we... I was watching the Shibata Okada match from uh, Invasion Attack. Right, that was Invasion Attack. Um, right, Sumo Hall. I know that, but it was yeah, Invasion, Invasion. I believe in Invasion Attack. Yeah. So you know the 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 it was uh, playing during the Axis Marathon. Oh, it's Sakura Genesis. They don't call it Invasion Attack anymore. Duh. Oh, that's right. So I knew something was off. About we're old school. Yeah, we're old school with the uh, the invasion attack. There. I'm yeah. just gonna keep Sakura calling Genesis. it invasion attack because Sakura Genesis is a shit name. No, invasion attack is so, much nicer. But. Sakura Genesis is like a failed video gaming system from 1998 or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, it just died Genesis with Sega. Knockoff. Yeah, just the Sega. It, yeah, Genesis it died with off. Sega CD. Yeah. You know, that's that's what Sakura Genesis is. That 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 was like a ten, that was a beta name for Sega CD. Sakura Genesis. That's what it sounds like. But. uh so anyway, I'm watching that match. Um, first time I've seen the match on on a second watch, and I was tweeting about it. And our our pal Chad Campbell uh, asked me. He said, "You know, I love the match. It's my match of the year right now." He's like, uh, "Joe, did you uh, knowing what we know now about Shibata? Did it take anything away from the match for you?" And of course, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and the first point I made was that no, um, knowing what we know now took nothing away from uh, from the greatness of the match for me, um, because I think Rich and we've talked about this. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, with me and you being sort of uh, uh, big sports fans, and you kind of separate yourself from that. I, I view wrestling just like I view sports, and it's just people get hurt. You know, I, I, you know it's, not, it's just one of those things. I just, it's just part of it for me. I, I, it's very physical. Uh, wrestling in particular is, is a very physical activity, and I, it's, it's, you almost expect people to be injured. And I, I know this was a serious one, and, and, and the man nearly died, and um, you know, his career ended that night. And um, you know, I, we've talked at length about it. You know. He's got some good news for people. He said it. He uh, and because he's got his little diary blog thing, uh, he says he has good news for people next week. So I don't know what that means. If it means it's just like, hey, I can see, or like I could walk again, or if you know, I don't think he's going to go back in the ring. I, I don't know. I, I still don't know the extent of the injury fully, but he said he has good news. So we'll, we'll yeah. see. It might not be well, who the knows. End of his career. Yeah. Uh, point is, it, it's a devastating injury. It wasn't like a broken leg. It was a very devastating injury. Uh, you know, the headbutt in combination with him being dehydrated. Um, you know, he, he collapsed and, and supposedly he nearly died. So I understand that, that it was a serious, but with all that said, it still, you know, takes nothing away from the great, it was still a great match. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, 
I, I, I totally understand if other people cannot watch the match. I totally understand if it does ruin the match for people, but for me, it doesn't. And, uh, and that's what I said. And then I followed that up by saying, in, in some ways, it was a romantic end of his career. And, um, you know, so that's the background of it. Now, the point I was going to make was, um, it's, it's kind of the thing that we talked about about Twitter a few months ago, where it's almost like, you know, a lot of the people that were incensed by this, in fact, nearly all of the people who were upset by this and, uh, uh, were people who don't follow us, um, accounts that I'd never seen before in our mentions and, 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 and other people who obviously have had bones to pick with us in the past with me in particular, who you're just pouncing on an opportunity to, to, to bang on me. You know what I mean? Um, so, um, it's it playing the gotcha game, so to speak. Uh, and it was sort of twisted into this thing where what I was trying to say was that, um, Shibata's very serious, uh, situation somehow helped or enhanced my enjoyment of the match, which is not what I was saying at all. I just said that the situation didn't hurt my enjoyment of the match. I thought it was a great match in real time. Um, I talked about it hours after it happened with Mike Sempervivi on this show. Um, I talked about that match with you and I still think it's a great match, uh, regardless of the, uh, you know, the tragic situation that, that ended up playing out afterwards. Um, as far as the, uh, that being sort of a romantic, uh, end for Shibata, I stand by that. I think there was, uh, uh, a lot of romanticism in terms of how his career ended and I'll explain it. Um, when you look at a guy like Katsuyori Shibata, um, the way he wrestled and the way he approached pro wrestling was incredibly physical to the point that uh, during the course of his career, particularly the, his second career, his post MMA pro wrestling career in particular, uh, everyone knew his wrestling style was risky, dangerous, uh, incredibly physical, incredibly realistic. Um, we knew, we knew he liked to throw those shoot headbutts. Um, and we're not going to do the whole headbutt thing again. Everybody knows who listens to this show how I feel about shoe headbutts. I think they're really, really fucking stupid. Um, with that said, I don't, I'm not in favor of telling adults what to do with their bodies. Um, you know, no matter how stupid it, I think it is, and you know, I wouldn't do it if I were a wrestler. I would tell wrestlers, I would recommend to them not to do it. But if you know, Katsuri Shibata or, 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 or Katoge and Noah, who's another guy who throws shoot headbutts or whoever you can think of, want to do that to their skull and put their brains at risk. They're grown men, and I believe they should have the right to do that. Um, I also don't believe in, in helmet laws for people who ride motorcycles. And Rich, I would never get on a motorcycle. I think it's unnecessarily risky. I think motorcycles are stupid. But if you want to ride a motorcycle and you don't want to wear a helmet, I don't think you should have to. If you want to uh, risk falling off of that thing and crushing your stupid skull, that's up to you. Yeah, I, I had a friend die on a motorcycle, so yeah, I don't, uh, I don't touch them, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, and, I'm never. And, I'm and I believe, if, you know, I don't believe. If you want to do it? Knock yourself out. That's I'm right. never getting on one. So and, <laughs> you're, and, you're, you're and, called, whatever. Yeah. And I, I don't believe in helmet laws. I mean, for that reason, I mean, that's you know, if you want to partake in yeah. dumb activity with your own body, go ahead. Um, I don't. I believe in a woman's right to choose. I, I don't want to get political here, but uh, you know, I, 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 I firmly believe in a woman's right to choose. It's, it's her body, and she should be able to do what she would like with it. Um, that's going to start a geez. Now the religious right's going to come after us, but it, you know, I, just, don't think, I don't think we have to worry too much about them. And I'm just giving you examples. Of, yeah, no, you never know. I, I, you know, these are consistent stances for me. I, I, sure. I do not believe in legislating what adults should be doing to their bodies. I I'm, I'm in favor of legalizing drugs. I mean, you know, so, um, but, but the point here is, uh, Shabbat's career ended in a very romanticized way to me. I mean, when you look at the way he worked and the way he wrestled and the, the things that he did to his body and the things that, uh, he did inside of a wrestling ring and the style of wrestling that he believed in. And 
as and, and his story, as long as it took him to get pushed in that company where uh, they just wouldn't go all the way with him until he signed a contract, and he did. And from the moment he signed that contract, they they pulled the trigger on him, and and they decided to push him hard. And and this match at Sakura Genesis was the culmination of that, and really was uh, supposed to be his initiation as a made guy in New Japan. This was a star making match. And um, I think we can all agree on that, that that was the idea here. And it was a, uh, it was a great match worked in his style. And he threw that shoot headbutt, which ultimately ended his career. And uh, Shibata, the character, not Shibata, the man, but Shibata, the character lost that match and, and wrestled and fought that fight the way that his character did his entire career. Uh, That final rainmaker, which he defiantly attempted to no-sell, but it was just too much, and he collapsed to his knees, and that was the end of the match and the end of his career. And we didn't know it at the time, uh, but, but, it, but that's how it ended up playing out. And, um, and, 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 and you know, that's why I say, uh, you know, if this was a sad, romantic end to this man's career, you know? And that's what I mean when I say that. And, and you know, if people don't know what romanticize means, that's, that or, is the. Or, I was, hold on I, now. I got, if people don't yeah, know, ahead, but. if people don't know what romanticize means in that context, or if they don't know what romantic means in that context, Rich, you know, I can't get wound up about that. That's on them. It's not on me. You know, I, I never once did I did I use the you know imply that I was happy that it ended this way for him. Never once did I imply that uh, this was uh, a good thing or, 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 or those sorts of things. I, you know, it was sad. It was tragic. It was, it's, it's the sort of thing that, and it was depressing, but it was also, you know, a, a very romanticized ending to his career. His, it almost came full circle in his pinnacle moment. The moment this man was reaching the point of his career that, that, that he wanted to be at and that the fans wanted him to be at, his career ended. And it ended because it ended because of the way this man chose to work his matches. And to me, there was something very romantic about that. And, and that word seems to be working people up. But again, if that's working you up, that's on you because you don't understand what it means. So I didn't mean anything disrespectful towards Shibata. Uh, not at all. Um, I'm as bummed out as anybody, and I think it's terrible what happened. But Rich, I mean, we can't sit here and ignore the fact that this man did bring this on himself, and he chose to go out. You know, he chose, he made those decisions, and he ended up going out because of those decisions. His career is over because he chose to work that style, because uh, those are the things he did to attempt to get over. And, um, you know, it's, it, it is a terrible thing. And, 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 and for people to imply that I thought, uh, it, you know, it, it enhanced the match or, or it made the match better knowing what we know now. I mean, they're just so far off base. But the fact of the matter is, Rich, again, it's people who don't know me. It's people who haven't heard me speak on this show. It's people who don't even follow our Twitter account. It's people looking for backpats and, and virtue signalers, looking for likes on Twitter. You know, and, and that's when I took a step back and looked. The people who listen to this show, who know us, who are our friends, who whatever, they all seem to grasp the point I was trying to make. Did I word it a bit awkwardly? Maybe. It's Twitter. You have 140 characters. And I was responding to Chad Campbell, who was another person who totally understood what I was trying to say. 
so, uh, you know, if, 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 if people want to screenshot it and put it on their timeline and, 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 and call me a piece of shit, that's fine. But I also have to consider the sources in those cases. So, um, but I just wanted to explain that, uh, to our listeners and let's face it. A lot of those people who are on my case are, are listening to this right now. I mean, we know that this show is going to do big numbers. So, um, you know, I just felt like, uh, you know, I wanted to defend my position in a longer forum than attempting to do it in 140 characters where it, which it's, it's something like this. It's almost impossible to do so. So, uh, um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? or? Yeah, well, my, my only thoughts were going to kind of chime in a little bit with, and you mentioned it, of people not necessarily knowing what romantic means. And I think there are a lot of people that necessarily, we'll just put romantic in the romance and happy and joy and love or whatever. And that's not always what romantic means. Like, there's two different ways of romantic. There's romantic the noun, where I am a romantic you know, a romantic person, uh, you, know, you know, a romantic writer or whatever. You know, there's different ways to sort of do that. And then there's also romantic in the way that you were using it and this again this sort of a learning is is in some ways the the adjective of romantic which is completely different and as long reaching beyond you know 1600s 1500s long reaching of the word romantic not always necessarily meaning good things you know here's here's the you know the, the dictionary.com or Marion webster has has this about romantic for people that might not know or might say oh well, no 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 it's it's this and joe you used it wrong and you, you didn't use it wrong because you use it exactly how it is here, here's a few of the definitions here one of them is visionary it says impractical in, con- in conception or plan and another one here is marked by the imaginative or emotional appeal of what is heroic adventurous remote mysterious and idealized and i think that's the one that you were using that's that particular one. one that's exactly heroic adventurous idealized mysterious idealized 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 that's the biggest one that's well, the when i think one. of romantic and the way i use it a lot of times in my writing uh, in the past has been in the idealized thing of a, a romantic isn't necessarily someone that's a, a smooth lover you know what i mean like that's that's some people use that that's immediately but romantic, sure. that's the most popular definition right that's maybe the more current definition of a romantic is that but you go back to old poems you go back or if you read any amount of poetry or whatever you're going to see the word romantic a lot and you're it's not going to be positive a lot of times. I mean, right. somebody, a few people were in our timeline telling people, you know, when people were arguing with us going, hey, have you ever heard of Romeo and Juliet? Like right. that had romance, but it also had romantic tragedy at the end where Correct. they, similar to Shibata, made the decision, you know what? <laughs> like, we'd rather kill ourselves than, than, you know, and that's like, there's, that's romantic in a way that's not necessarily the love aspect of it. You, you so, can't tell me that there's not a romantic irony to this man, to this man's career ending the way it did. He finally reaches the pinnacle of his career. And his career ends because of this aggressive um, uh, style that he chose to 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 work in his career. That's a, that you know. So that I, you know that yeah, and a lot of and, adventurous and, and, and idealized. That, idealist, that's not Shibata to a T. Then I don't know what it is. Yeah, that you know. And and, right and, and to be fair, Rich, again, this is one of those things where the majority of people totally understood what I was getting at. And, and sure. I tell you what, if I would have used the word romanticize instead of romantic, I think it would have been lessened a bit. Um, I think people just hyper-focused on the word romantic. Again, it may have been awkwardly phrased. I don't know, but I have nothing to apologize for. I think my point stands. Now you may disagree. I have, I, listen, I've been accused of being melodramatic in my wrestling reviews. I, you know, that's how I approach wrestling, especially wrestling that I'm emotionally invested in. I get into it, man. You know that. People who listen to this know that. I stand and pace in my den, okay? So it's it's one of those things where you've read my reviews. I mean, Rich, 
you've read my reviews for Okada Tanahashi and Okada Tenru and all these matches that just sucked me in and had me emotionally invested. I can be melodramatic and maybe there was a little bit of that flowing in too, but um, I make no apologies for the fact that I saw this as a very romantic end to this man's career, a romantic, tragic, sad end to this man's career. And uh, I'm certainly not happy about it. Here's another uh, definition for you. Stressing or appealing to the emotions or imagination. There you go. Right. <laughs> it's not. So again, you know. it's, it's not my fault if people are misinterpreting the context of the word. Um, but again, I do think a large chunk of these people are just people who do not like me, do not like us. And they're looking for, you know, Rich, come on. And this day. Yeah, oh, yeah. Or replying old. to the reply of you, which was like, you heartless asshole, this man almost right. died. Or, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. And then it's, not it's really. It's an opportunity to go right. after Joe Lanza because, look, we look, and that's not me being egotistical. Look, just consider the sources of some of the people. And, you know, I did consider going after them individually, but that would be 2014, Joe. Let's tone it down this week. I'm not going to go after them individually and give them the so attention. I did say you were going to lose your career, it's, though. And, and this is going to be kind of awkward. Know, that was the funniest. I'm firing you live on the, air right now. I'm, so. glad you, I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. That was the funniest response. Yeah, Joe, you, you can know, come in. It's Joe Gagne's on the line as well. So he's going to come in yeah, here real quickly. We do, we, <laughs> but, we do live in have your last words. Have your last words, then I'll have Gagne come on here and finish out the show. But yeah, go yeah, ahead. The other Joe. It, it's funny, though, because. <laughs> We live in this culture now where if someone says something that people don't like, we demand that they're fired. And the, and the thing is, a lot of corporations, a lot of companies will concede to those demands. Instead of just riding out the wave and letting things pass, they usually buckle under the public pressure, which always goes away if you ride it out. It always goes – unless you say something so heinous that it's just unavoidable – uh, it, those things always go away if you have the guts to ride it out. But this is sort of this culture where – uh, whether it's someone on television or radio or, or someone on Twitter, they say something that uh, offends people's sensibilities. It's this sort of thing where they try to get them fired. Saturday Night Live went through that. Uh, they hired, uh, I can't remember her name now, but this, uh, his, uh, this Latina uh, Hispanic comedian. And of course, the new thing now is when any, you know, people like to go through people's Twitter feed. Ironic that I spoke before of deleting tweets older than six months. The new thing now is when it, you know they love to go through public figures' Twitter feeds, and we've seen this in wrestling as well when WWE hires people. And you know they found some really old, ancient jokes that this girl told uh, years ago that uh, were borderline. They were they were edgy jokes, you know what I mean? And 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 they were framed as being racist and whatnot. And they put a lot of pressure on Lorne Michaels and NBC to fire her. Uh, you know, uh, you know, roughly a week or so after they were hired, and Lord Michaels simply ignored it, and and he's got a lot of stroke with NBC, and NBC ignored it, and it simply went away. And this woman, whose name still escapes me, is a cast member on Saturday Night Live, and it's no longer an issue. But there, anyway, there's sort of this culture where if someone says something you don't like, the first thing is we we got to get out our pitchforks and torches and have them fired. So anyway, one of the responses we got that was hilarious is somebody said, uh, because I said that uh, you know. Uh, Shibata's career ended in a romantic way and they responded, well, your career is about to end in a, in a non-romantic way, implying that I would be fired from Voices of Wrestling for these heartless <laughs> comments and that my career in podcasting and writing would be over because I said Shibata's career ended romantically. Well, if that person's listening, self, I own the fucking site, so you can go fuck yourself. I'm not going anywhere. But I just thought that one was hilarious. That was by far uh, the best response we got to that. This knee-jerk thing 
where you must be fired because you said something I don't like. So you don't deserve to have a public voice anymore. Well, I can't go anywhere because this is my site and this is my show. <laughs> back so to you suspension can take for you, Joe. You just got back and now you're back out in 90 and, days. And so you know what's cool. funny? The person doesn't follow us. I'm sure they're not a listener. So even if I did say something that was egregiously <laughs> offensive, what difference is it to them if I continue to say egregiously offensive things? You can't hear it if you're not listening. It drives me nuts, but that's the culture now. What are you going to do? But uh, so that's the Shibata thing. Um, oddly enough, Rich, um, that isn't what worked up people's dander the most this week. It was simply me saying I don't like intermissions at wrestling yeah, shows. You monster! You you Could heartless you believe, monster! No, but with all honesty, could I you believe I was on the vitriol that. Yeah, was. that that received? I couldn't believe it. Like. It wasn't playful. You were literally going into indie wrestlers' pockets and taking their money away from them and taking the food off their tables, Joe. This is amazing. It's like this wasn't people playfully disagreeing. This wasn't even people disagreeing. This was people cursing me. And and, (laughs) and, and, like like, you saw some of the responses like, like you're a piece of shit. How could you you don't like – we're talking about intermission. I feel like I still – I feel like Allen Iverson. We're talking about practice. We're talking about intermissions. Who likes intermissions? Well, I'll answer that for you. Apparently, a lot of people enjoy doing nothing for 20 solid minutes. Intermissions stink. Why is that controversial to say? I couldn't believe the response that got from people who were so angry that I even suggested that intermissions were boring and that I could live without them. I know why indie shows take intermissions. <laughs> yeah, I we do like the explaining why. thing. <laughs> yeah, they do I love how sell I t-shirts. Got... Oh, thanks. I had no idea. I had, I had no had idea. No idea. Right. I love how I got indie-splained by every promoter and every indie wrestler why they take intermissions. I we know why you take the next them. show during intermission, asshole. Oh, okay. I did not know yeah. that. Thank you. Listen, <laughs> dopey. I know why you take the intermissions. All I'm saying is I don't like the intermissions. Well, I think I what was another like- funny part about it is you said no major show should have intermissions. Right. And people were like, my low-level indie needs it to sell tickets. You're like, I know it does. Like- yeah, I'm like, dude, I know why you take an intermission. But WrestleMania you know? might not need one. Like... <laughs> No, that's what I'm saying. Like, Wrestle Kingdom like, probably doesn't need one. So, Roadblock end of the line doesn't need an intermission, and and you know they don't take one. Wrestle Kingdom nine didn't have an intermission, and did anyone give a fuck? I mean, seriously, you know, it's like intermissions are the kind of thing where if they went away tomorrow in a month, everyone would forget that we used to take them. You don't need them; they're a waste of time. Rich, I hate them. When I go to a live show, I, I it drives me nuts, and 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 I got people telling us. Oh, well, you know, you get tired of the wrestling show. You need a break. What, 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 are you kidding? How are you getting gas to the wrestling show sitting in a chair watching matches? And I stand the whole time and I don't get tired. I just want to get on with the fucking thing. You really need a rest from watching wrestling? That explanation I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with intermissions. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't really mind them one way or another. But there are many times, and, and I've gone to plenty of AEW shows where, you know, halfway through the, 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 the maybe the second or third match or whatever, they'll say, we're not taking an intermission tonight or whatever. And people cheer. They're like, okay, cool. That's fine. And then, the, the, like, let's get you home at, you know, 930 as opposed to 1030. That, that's yes, fine. please. I, you know, most of the people have no issues with that ever. I mean, yeah, sometimes I like no. them. I like to go take a piss sometimes. Sometimes I like to go look at the shirts or whatever. But if they went away, like you said, I, I wouldn't be totally upset. I'll, I'll go buy a T-shirt before or after. I mean, the guys, if they come there after the show, that's actually when I prefer to get T-shirts anywhere or prefer to kind of talk to the guys is after the show and, and go there and, and walk up and maybe get my stuff. And, and then I'm a little less rushed, whereas intermission is, is. But yeah, 
I know why they exist, but yeah, I could do without them. I mean, it's not a big deal, but yeah, I don't know if you knew, Joe, so I'm glad that you finally know now. Uh, you'd sell t-shirts, concessions, and then take us to the next show during intermission. Oh, is so, that what happens? Correct. Yeah. Really? People, if people you had ever gone to a wrestling show, and, and a lot of people aware. said, oh, these wrestling, what's wrestling guys have never been to a show. I mean, that's not WWE, because I know you've never been to any indie shows ever, so that's, just to give you an idea, that's what happens during those intermissions, because I know you only go to WWE uh, live events, or you know uh, WWE Network specials on the award-winning WWE Network, but just so you know, that's, that is what happens. Uh, you know, Rich, shows that they sell tickets for the next show. So we were also told that every other sporting event takes an intermission. So why <laughs> yes. would wrestling be different? Which is basketball and wrestling is the same. So. Which is quite possibly the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. First of all, those are not for you; they're for the athletes. <laughs> they're not for the fucking assholes. They're not for the you. Crowd drinking beer. They're for the athletes. They're for the athletes. Running miles every. <laughs> right. Uh, the reason they take a, a break and they take a halftime at a soccer match is because the players are fucking tired. Uh, same thing for basketball or football, whatever sport. And here's the other thing. They do not take intermissions at every sport. Baseball does not have an intermission. You want to guess why? It's a little less strenuous than the other sports. So there's no need for one, which proves my point that it's for the athletes, not for you dopes. Okay. It's not for the fans. Tennis does not take an intermission. There's plenty of sports that do not take intermissions. Some of them do. They're for the athletes, not you. Terrible comparison. Makes no sense. Totally baseless. Uh, you know, it's like, and, and again, does anyone miss having an intermission at a baseball game? No. We want to get on with it. Okay. I go to a wrestling show. Chances are you've got to get in a car and have a long ride home, or you got to hop on a bus, or you got to catch a train, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I don't want to be there. A minute longer than I need to be. And all the intermission does is delay me getting in my car for my long drive home. I mean, yeah, I go to these Wrestle Circus shows. They're like six hours anyway, and I'm not even exaggerating. Some of these Wrestle Circus shows are five, six hours long, and they have the nerve to take an intermission. I mean, you know, if you want to take an intermission, fine, but can you please limit the show to three hours? I mean, so that's how they sell t-shirts and concessions and tickets. Okay, to the next show, so how about run a three-hour show and run an intermission, or a two-and-a-half-hour <laughs> show and run an intermission? To run a six-hour show and run an intermission is just insulting to me as a ticket buyer. Uh, you know, and it's like, you know, um, uh, my good friend Erin uh, Quinn goes to these shows as well, and uh, she will tell you that you know one time. She wanted to banter with me after the show, and I was like, no, Aaron, I got to go because I haven't eaten in six fucking hours, and I, I'm cranky, and I need to fucking eat. And her dogs are clawing at the door. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, I've grown a beard since I've fucking been here, and the 20-minute intermission didn't help. Another time at one of these wrestling circus shows, uh, uh, you know, I'm walking to my car with, uh, with Aaron, and, um, and, and the show was so fucking long that she realized that she forgot where she parked. So she had to hop into my car. And we had to drive around downtown Austin until we found her car. You know, it's like these shows are, are already five, six hours long. And now you're tacking on these, these dopey intermissions. You know, I, I just, I don't need them. I don't see people staunchly defending these intermissions. Why? What is, whoever went to a wrestling show and said, wow, you know, this match was awesome. But the intermission, man, you should have been there. It was fantastic. It's a fucking intermission. What are we talking about here? We're talking about intermission. I mean, you got, I, I don't even know how to respond to this. But the, 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 I mean, God, these people—you yeah, got—you so got more vitriol for for saying I don't like intermissions than you rooting for Cancer uh, Shibata's bad health. So that was—I uh, I legitimately did. <laughs> I couldn't believe it for you rooting and cheering and, and howling at Shibata's misfortune and 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 horrible health. That was like half of the vitriol that was you got. Thing. 
but don't <laughs> fuck with my intermissions, okay? That's what it was like. But people thought you were really happy that a man got hurt. They were upset, but man, were they upset that you said that you don't like intermissions. So, Not only did I think it was a completely mundane and harmless take, I also thought like 90% of the world would agree with me because what are you doing in an intermission? You're standing there, you're sitting there looking at an empty fucking ring. For Why is that enjoyable in any way, shape, or form? I just don't get it. They, every and you can't, don't tell me. Oh, I got to take a piss. That's the worst time to go take a piss. That's when everyone is rushing to the bathroom. Yeah, you, you know, you know what I mean. It's like I, I don't get it, Rich. I don't get it. Intermissions fucking stink. They stink. It was a weekend. <laughs> it was definitely a weekend. It was the, the worst of Twitter. It's the, it's it's. It, the worst it's I talked my phone right now. I I, uh, I don't know if I'm gonna put it back on. It was so horrible that I took it off my phone. I was just like, I'm done. I'm out of here. WWE hasn't done it. Doesn't done intermissions for their you know pay per views in, in in like forever. When's the last time there was an intermission at WWE? Like 88 or something like that. It's, it's way. I don't know. Like, I mean, we're talking like, yeah, 20 plus years. This maybe year. like what? Like maybe like WrestleMania. Did WrestleMania three have an intermission? I don't think it did. Yeah, that's eighty seven. I don't know that it did. I, I remember some random SummerSlam, maybe eighty seven or eighty eight, or, or maybe eighty eight had an intermission, but very, very, very rare. I mean, it was this company hasn't done intermissions in. Decades. We're at least talking thirty. We're talking close to thirty years. So I, I mean, was born in nineteen eighty seven. Just to give you up, so. as long as I've been alive, they have probably not done intermissions. So you went to Takeover Chicago, where you like, ah oh, man, that was a great show, but fuck man, why was there no intermission? Yeah, I really exactly. missed yeah. the intermission. <laughs> right. I mean, you people are, are crazy. I don't I'm defending these intermissions. It's it's nuts to me. Well, they do it, Joe, to sell T-shirts and then tickets to the next show. Right. So why do WWE or New Japan need to do it? This is what I'm saying. Major League Wrestling, you don't need the intermission. No, not Cut no. the thing yeah. out. Get rid of it. Did anyone watch Wrestle Kingdom 9 and go, wow, that was the best show I've seen this year, but it would have been that much better if I had 15 minutes of, of, of staring at the screen with my thumb up my anus. No, nobody yeah, said and, that. And especially like New Japan proper, like the Japanese commentary intermissions or whatever, that I fall asleep every single time. During. Every time I'm like, I'm staying worst. up for the G1 finals, I'm staying up for Wrestle Kingdom, and then I got to sit there in Nogami and Jushin Thunder Liger like mumbling, and then I'm asleep. Like, you know, they're sitting there at that desk. I don't know what they're saying. I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go get a drink. I'll co- I come back. I sit down. And I'm asleep in, in three minutes. I'm like, God damn it. I wake up to, you know, halfway through the main event or whatever. Like, wow, damn it. <laughs> The viewer, you're sitting in a fucking chair. Okay, you don't need an intermission. You don't need a break. I mean, how out of shape are you people that you're getting tired at wrestling shows? I don't understand. I don't even sit. I stand at the wrestling shows and I don't get tired. Why are you tired at a wrestling show? You should, it's relaxing. You're sitting in a fucking chair. Let everybody know that this week's episode of the Voices Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Blue Apron. Blue Apron, of course, is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country, and their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Joe, uh, the nurse and I, as we always talk about, we love the Blue Apron. Every single week we get it, we cook. You know, if she's home, we're cooking together. Sometimes I'll cook for her, she'll bring it to work. It just works so well for us. The pre-portioned ingredients, the the quickness that comes with making the meals, and they're all delicious as well, which is the best part. Here, here are some of the upcoming meals, just kind of give you an idea of what's on the way. Seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers. Creamy spinach, creamy shrimp rolls, sorry, with uh, quick pickles and sweet potato wedges. Fresh basil fettuccine pasta, and then 
chili butter steaks with Parmesan potatoes and spinach. That last one I'm definitely looking forward to. I love a little chili butter steak. That sounds incredible. Um, just see kind of that works out there. But that's the cool thing about it is you get stuff that you've maybe never tried before, uh, different takes on recipes. There's quite a few times that we've gotten something, the, the nurse and I, and, and, and we'll kind of, st- hey, that's a pretty cool thing. We're going to steal this little part from the recipe or whatever. You know, we have an entire folder now in, in our house that's old, you know, blue apron meals that we've had. I was like, hey, we're going to use this a lot. And, and the good thing about it too, and we'll get to this here in a little bit, is that they don't repeat. So you don't, you're not getting those same things from Blue Apron all the time, but if there's something you like, you can kind of put it off to the side and that becomes a meal that then you can make on your own if, if you so choose. Or, yeah, you just keep getting Blue Apron and you don't have to choose new meals and let them come up with it. But of course, yeah, for less than $10 per person per meal, uh, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. You can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, like the ones I mentioned above there. Or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. Uh, recipes, as I mentioned, are not repeated within a year, so you'll never get bored. You'll never get the same old thing. It's not like, ah, geez, we've had this you know, for the last three months. I don't want this anymore. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, the thing that we love, too, is you can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. I'm not a big fish guy. Uh, she really isn't either, so we can kind of knock out the fish. We can, So it just works perfect for whatever you want, whatever you want to eat. They can do that. They can work it out as well. A uh, thing that we definitely love, though, is Blue Apron has several del- uh, delivery options, so you can choose what fits your needs. There's no weekly commitment, so you get the deliveries whenever you want them. So there was a week where you know the nurse was out on vacation, so we didn't get them that week. We had our you know our honeymoon week. We didn't get them that week, but we were able to schedule them. The second we got back from our honeymoon, it was sitting, you know, it was ready there for us that day that we got back. We were ready to go. We didn't have to go to the grocery store after coming back from a long honeymoon. It was just right there, ready to go for us. We cooked a meal right when we got back, and we were ready for the rest of the week. And, and I can't speak enough, uh, or highly enough, of, of how important that is. Uh, each meal, of course, comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe cards uh, and pre-portioned ingredients, and they can be prepared, all of them, in 40 minutes or less. So... And that's a little offer for you guys here as well. Uh, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free. That's free with free shipping. So three meals, free, free shipping. You go to blueapron.com slash V-O-W. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So do not wait. That's blueapron.com slash V-O-W. Three meals, absolutely free, with free shipping. Blueapron.com slash V-O-W. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Uh, big news out of the weekend. We have to absolutely have to start with this. Uh, Joe, in a move designed to distance itself from the financial struggles and legal drama that hung over its brand, Anthem Sports announced last week it has purchased Nashville-based Global Force Wrestling. Signal, the move signals the end of TNA. Professional Just wrestling. hours after we put over JJ is always winning. And he wins again. This guy's amazing, huh? Anthem Sports, a Canadian company that also owns the Fight Network, will rebrand its wrestling league as GFW. And Nashville native Jeff Jarrett will helm the creative aspect of the promotion. Its staple weekend program on Pop TV will continue to be called Impact. The rebranding comes 15 years to the day that Jarrett and his father, Jerry Jarrett, launched TNA. Yeah. And um, we, we, we did a memorial for yeah. Global Force Wrestling last week. And within like 14 hours, Good old no. Double J said, "Oh, you thought I was good." Not <laughs> only that, over man. as businessman extraordinaire, not so fast, Chief. Maybe you're missing the second part of that, though, too. Double J is releasing those amped episodes that you were afraid <laughs> would never see the light of day. So they will be released as, one as, as one night only episodes. <laughs> this guy, which is br- listen to this though, that's this fucking guy. Yeah, listen, that's brilliant though. Because now they don't have to do these dopey one-night-only tapings and fly a bunch of wrestlers in and pay them to work for three days because they could fill the one-night-only commitments with the Amped tapes. This guy's bro- – this Double J. <laughs> we were convinced last week, okay? 
just gotta this, give that guy a clap. You just gotta. I mean, all time. Gotta clap for this guy. I yeah, I respect. Five year plan. <laughs> <laughs> I respect the double J, and he'll make a little bit of his money back for the eighteen people who buy those pay per views too. So when Garrett Kidney and, and Larry Zonka plunk yeah, the down two. their money, you mean the two people that buy them. <laughs> when they plunk down their money for the one night only pay per views, you know that it, it's you know Double J will at least make some of that money back too. And I'm sure he didn't pay a lot of those wrestlers that worked the amp shows. Oh god, no! And they were sold shows, as we said. So that, well, you know, guy. they didn't want to fill out the W fours, you know, W twos. So uh, <laughs> this guy. You know, he probably got away with not paying a few of those dudes, too. But, uh, yeah, so Double J winning again. Absolutely. God, man. So, yeah, Impact, uh, the former TNA, now former Impact Wrestling, will now officially be called Global Force Wrestling in the TV show. So, will be called do we Impact, have to so. refer to I mean, this is going to be a tough adjustment referring to it. Now, the TV show is still called Impact. I just got Impact. used to calling it Impact. Yeah, I just got used to calling it Impact Wrestling. But, yes, it's going to be Global Force Wrestling Impact, which – I can get into that for we have too much else so I don't want to get into it this week or whatever whatever it's not to me I wouldn't rebrand as as, as quickly as you rebranded before like if you were going to rebrand away from TNA make whatever your first one is make that one count but now it's weird because it's like some people just got used to calling it Impact and now it's got to be called Global Force Wrestling because that's what it's called but then you still name the TV show Impact like if that was me I would say okay Impact is gone we're getting rid of that name or whatever we'll call it Global Force Wrestling Amped or whatever you know what I mean like that would be the t- make the TV show a new thing too if you want if you don't want it to be Impact because now you still are going to have people calling it Impact and you're going to be fighting that while you're trying to get it to call Global Force Wrestling which they've had enough issues getting people to call Impact Wrestling when they didn't want them to call it TNA and they would call it t- you know what I mean like it's just too many rebrands in in, in such a short amount of time Whatever, ambitious. I, I agree they need to kind of get away from the TNA thing, but they did do that, I thought, already with the impact, but they're doing it again. So whatever. It, it's that that was a big debate as well. And I, I don't really feel like getting into it right now. So But Global Force lost the feud. That yeah, in canon it's a fucking mess. So that, like in storyline, it's an absolute utter disaster and a mess. So that I, I will never explain. And and it's it's nearly impossible to explain. But we'll make Garrett try to explain it, but I don't think he even can because they lost the feud, impact reigned supreme, and now Global Force won somehow in in the grand scheme of things. So, let's do these G one specials. Let's do those. Yeah, that was actually the big news of the weekend was the G one specials. So, Joe, um, nights one and two, correct? Of course, yeah. yeah so you watched you watched night one live, I believe, at your uh, <laughs> at your work, which did not well, go very well. That didn't yeah. work very well. Couldn't focus. Had no sound. <laughs> um, and all no I, sound I, was all... a benefit. Let me tell you, not hearing this show well, was I... a benefit. <laughs> I did watch it later with with the. Oh, uh, you should have should have done it without sound that time too. But, but yeah, all I did actually was spoil all the results by attempting to watch it at work. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, both of these shows. Look, this was. Look, if you're looking for big picture uh, thoughts here, obviously New Japan knocked it out of the park here. I mean, these were awesome shows with awesome matches, um, awesome crowds, two sellouts, um, everything went their way. Uh, with these two shows, I don't think it could have. It, it would have been very difficult for it to have gone any better than it did. Um, I think the the only miscue of the entire weekend was booking Billy Gunn because that turned out to be even a bigger disaster than anybody even thought it would be. Uh, he did not come to work. Um, he was very lazy, um, and that was an utter disaster. I suppose we can get into more detail on that a little later when we break down the cards. But this was a knock it out of the park weekend for New Japan. Um, you know, they, they, you know, whatever value you put into buzz, which could mean something and, and very oftentimes also means nothing. There was certainly a ton of buzz surrounding these shows. Um, they, they, they obviously sold the shows out 
and the shows were an aesthetic success. I mean, these were great shows with match of the year contender level matches. Um, and I think the booking of the, uh, the United States uh, IWGP uh, U.S. title tournament was, uh, which we were privy to beforehand, um, and, and we and we hinted about strongly the last couple of weeks was picture perfect, and they could not have picked a better first champion, and uh, they could not have picked a better opponent for him in the finals. And uh, Kenny Omega, in hindsight, was the obvious choice to win that title, as he is probably, and I don't know whether you agree with this or not. I would say that he's probably the most popular New Japan wrestler in the United States among American fans. So, and that would have been my pick anyway, if 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 I had not known that that was the pick. And I sort of talked about it a little bit in the preview, where I I, I didn't necessarily you know tip my hat that I kind of had a, you know an inkling that he was going to be the winner, but mostly saying that he was. And I mentioned this in the review too, because I I reviewed for both of these up on on VoiceWrestling.com, and I mentioned he was the right choice all around. There were there were there were safer choices maybe. A uh, Michael Elgin is a safe choice. A Tomohiro Ishii is a safe one. Guys that. You can say, oh, they don't really necessarily need this title or, you know, this title fits where they are in the pecking order or whatnot. And, and I said from the beginning, no, Kenny Omega fits this title because this title is not a consolation prize. Because there were a lot of people tweeting out when he won, oh, you know, he couldn't win the IWGP title, so they give him this title. If it's like a throwaway title. And I was oh, saying, those no, people no, aren't no, seeing, no, no, They're not seeing the forest through the trees. Those, yeah, yeah. those are terrible takes. Big terrible picture takes. here. Yeah. This title means a lot. This yeah. brand means a lot. Can and, you make and, Omega will make sh- and Omega will Absolutely. make sure it means a lot. That's the other key. Right. And he is the guy, when you're talking about it, the, the right pick, the guy that people know, that per, the person that's going to break through the, 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 the mainstream, break through to the mainstream or whatever, that's Kenny Omega. That's, that guy was a viral sensation on, on, on January 4th. And that, Okada was every bit there. But, but Omega, for the U.S. fans and North American fans or whatever, that was the guy they were more attracted to because, you know, there's familiarity there. There's Kenny Omega who, you know, hey, he's, he's an American. He speaks English. There's always going to be a familiarity with that. And, and there's a benefit to having it be one of those guys. And, and yeah, Michael Elgin would have been a fine pick for those very same reasons. But there's a different level. And that's nothing against Michael Elgin. Michael Elgin's a great worker, you know, awesome guy. Uh, you know, his, his training school's doing well. Everything's doing well with, with, with Elgin. But there's a different level with Omega. Omega's a superstar. That's a, that's a sensation. That's one of the biggest stars in pro wrestling right now, Kenny Omega. Whether you agree or there's no agree or disagree, he absolutely is. So just you know what I mean. Like there's you can't even. So this is he's so the right choice for them to do this. And and for people that were saying, oh oh, it's you know it's a secondary. This is not going to be a secondary title. Maybe to you it is. Maybe to Japan it is. But in the big picture of this company and the expansion of what they want to do, this is not a throwaway title. This is a big deal. And Ken Omega being the first champion is a huge deal and the absolute hundred percent right choice for. Yeah, there was no other choice in my opinion. It had to be him. Um, perfect booking throughout the entire tournament. Um, I, it's it's this. Uh, you know, Ishii was a great opponent for the final because again, you're not. They've wrestled each other twice already this year, and they're in the same G1 block too, right? If I'm not mistaken. I got um, to look off offhand. I don't remember offhand. I, I I think they're no, they're different. I thought this year, aren't they? They're in different blocks. Okay. Um, let me let me make point sure. It, yeah, so they've wrestled they've wrestled twice already this year. So you weren't giving away. Uh, a money match for Japan. Um, you were yeah, no, they're different. Uh, Ishii's oh, they're A different and, and, and Omega's B. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. So you weren't giving away a money match in Japan and you were continuing a rivalry because for all the attention that Omega Okada gets, Omega's rivalry with Ishii this year, any other year would be the greatest feud in wrestling for any given year. 
this year it takes a backseat to Omega and Okada, obviously, but these guys have had a tremendous rivalry. Yeah, and, and I mentioned that in my review as well with, with, like, you know, we give all this praise to Kenny Omega, and, and rightfully so. Omega's had an incredible year, but, I mean, three of those awesome matches have been with Ishii this year. Like, yeah. so it's, it's kind of funny that we're like, oh, this Omega, you know, uh, wrestler of the year, whatever. It's like, hell, you know, <laughs> a lot of those big matches are with Tomori Ishii. Like, he's been right there with them almost the entire time, and that's been the feud for him this year, more so than even Okada's. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty remarkable what these two guys can do. It's just just incredible here. And, and real quickly, before we kind of get into the other things uh this is from kidani who's um in tokyo sports mentioned the sake kidani the, the ibushi road president uh he said new japan usa shows were a huge success and he'd like to try a touring style no later than march or april uh he added and this is from struga as well who uh great follow as well at struga uh, on twitter uh he said he uh he added that the la office will be opened within the year and the la dojo will be opened at the beginning of 2018 and also during night two they had um the new japan chairman the name escapes me right now is his name i feel bad i forgot it but he came on and said that they'll come back uh by 2018 they'll be back in the united states for for shows so yeah so um th- like you say this is not going to be you know this is not going to be the never six open weight six man titles. I mean, this is an important title. Um, Look, they want to be a global professional wrestling promotion as rich sips a drink. Very unprofessional. I am so sorry. Uh, They are a, they want to be a global wrestling promotion and, and whether that'll work or not, I still have my doubts. I believe you do too. At least the last time we spoke about this, you did. Um, And, and the success of this weekend doesn't really change my doubts to be completely honest, because you knew this weekend would be a success uh, no matter what, people were going to be excited about seeing a new Japan show in the United States. They were going to get a lot of fl- a lot of fly-ins. Um, but moving forward, you know, I don't know. You know, when they try other markets or or whatnot, uh, we'll see. But the effort will be put in, and this title is going to be an important title. And Omega will make sure that it is. And the match with Ishii to me, um, I went five stars. I thought it was just uh, a brilliant match, um, one of the best matches of the year, one of the best matches I've ever seen. Um, you know, I wouldn't have went five if I didn't think it was. And, you know, these guys now have had three matches this year and you're right. Ishii does deserve a ton of credit too. And it, you know, something like, what is it? Five, uh, nine, like something like, you know, over 14 and a half cumulative stars between the three matches, at least by my ratings. So uh, they've absolutely killed it. The, the new Japan cup match. And then, um, I uh, forget what the other, the other match was. Uh, I guess that number one contender match, de facto number one contender match, mm-hmm. or whatever show that was. And now this match here, which I just thought was incredible. Um, Kenny Omega for the weekend. I mean, he just had three matches that were just, uh, you know, great matches. The match yeah, this, with this might not even be my favorite one. We'll, we'll talk about my favorite one here a little bit. I mean, I love this match, but uh, one earlier in that night too was probably my favorite of the entire show. Yeah, the Elgin and the Lethal match were also incredible. I mean, you know, all told, I went uh, four and a half, four and a quarter, and five on his three matches. And then you throw in Ishii, who had the great match against Naito, where I went four and a quarter, and the great match against Zack Saber Jr., where I went four. I mean, between the five matches that these guys had, I mean, you're talking like you know whatever that is, like just a billion star. I mean, this was just two great nights of wrestling. And those were the two stars of the weekend. I, I I think, um, you know, and it was smart to build the weekend around Omega. That was the guy, uh, that people were most into on the, at the show, at these shows. And, um, uh, to me, the biggest star to the American audiences. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty symbolic as well. I, I, I remember, the second they started night one, the first camera shot they went to was like this couple in the, in the audience and they were wearing Kenny Omega shirts. And I thought that was symbolic too, that the first thing they cut to is people wearing Kenny Omega shirts and they, and it wasn't hard to find them. I mean, there were plenty of Kenny Omega shirts everywhere, but we talked about it, you know, back in January, back in, you know, February when there was the, the rumors of where Kenny Omega is going. We, we kind of always were on this fence or always on the side of, 
I, I, I'm guessing that Omega or, or that they told him, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we want you to be the man for it. And and I'm assuming Kenny Omega, you know, he looked, you know, this is another stamp of approval on his end or, or, or to New Japan's end as well of this weekend being built around him, I think is is, is yeah. symbolic in a lot of ways and important in maybe what the future of Kenny Omega is. I don't know that if there is even a hint, a, a tinge of doubt in their minds that they build this weekend as heavily around him as they, they would have if they didn't think that this guy was in for the long haul one way. No, or and this so. is what we talked about in January when he basically worked Dave Meltzer and he worked, you know, the rest of the wrestling media. And this show uh, was one of the few places that were saying, this man is not going anywhere. Um, this is all him working an angle to keep his name in the news. He's not going anywhere. And we, you know, we were told by people in the New Japan office that they were just so non-concerned with the idea of him leaving. And they said, That's, no, he's not going anywhere. There's, there's big plans for him. There's major plans this year for Kenny Omega. He's not going anywhere. Um, you know, and, and as you can see, they're starting to play out and it's just a, you know, it, you know, I tweeted out, um, at some point, you know, after he won the tournament this weekend, I was like, it's just like, as if this man was ever leaving this company in January, it was just not going to happen. And, uh, I'm still convinced rich that he was, his contract never came up. I'm still convinced that he's been under contract this entire time. I am. Uh, but whether he was under contract or not, he was going nowhere. He knew it. New Japan knew it. They had these plans laid out for him. And that's another reason why this is not some throwaway secondary title that they're only going to pay attention to when they come to the United States two or three times a year. It's no, this was, this was a, a well thought out uh, plan for Kenny Omega and for this company. So, um, so yeah, all those things, this was Kenny Omega's weekend. Um, I think now, you know, with all the praise that we've heaped on Okada, He's got some serious competition for wrestler of the year at this point. He does. This weekend there was a lot of catch up. And uh, that's not to say Okada blew it either. I mean, he did well, but no, Omega was so far away. He did away. nothing wrong. <laughs> Omega was just like, the, the, you, you couldn't, I mean, yeah, you couldn't escape uh, Kenny Omega this weekend. He was just, absolutely- yeah, we have three matches of that caliber and solidify yourself as a megastar the way that he did. I mean, this is the year of Okada and Omega. It really is. That's, that's historically people will look back, uh, especially since, you know, again, you know, nobody in WWE is having a blow away year this year. There's not in any facet. Um, so, you know, you look to new Japan and these two guys are just, you know, they're lapping the field in terms of whose year it is in pro wrestling. When you're talking about MVPs or wrestler of the years or those sorts of things, it's these two guys, you know, and it's, and it's these two guys and, and no one even close, uh, you know, Hiromu probably be number three. And he just doesn't have the star impact that these two have, um, you know, which is what he's lacking. Um, even if you think the match quality is equal. And I thought uh, another important part too was Omega doing the the promo after uh, night two, and that was a, a total babyface promo. I mean, he's saying, you oh, know, hey, awesome. I said we could have had 20,000 people. We only did two. Like, this is only the beginning. Like, just straight up. And we know, like, the long game for Kenny Omega's babyface, both in Japan and America or whatever. We, we know that that's eventually where they're going to go. But yeah. I thought that was a nice little thing. I was like, oh, he's going to get on the mic, and he was just hamming it up. <laughs> Full on Kenny Omega American babyface on that night, which is fine. Yeah. That's, that's what you needed to do. You didn't need him going there and, and telling everybody to go fuck themselves. You know, you needed the the rally Kenny Omega and that's absolutely what it was it was the you know next time we come to America we're gonna kill it this is this is only the beginning thing you know yeah. was- and I mean I, it's, it's pretty obvious they could have drawn more than 2,500 people a night um but they weren't drawing 20,000 people let's be let's be real no, yeah, but- that wasn't gonna happen but um they 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 look do I think they could have drawn do you think they could have done 5,000 each night I think um- they could yeah, I think they probably could have. Um, five's tough. I, I think it depends where you go in a lot of ways. The first time out, you know, I may, I don't know. I, I, how about I think they could? How about four? Yeah, four. I could, the three or four. Do you think, I think. Do you think there are fifteen hundred other people that would have bought tickets to this thing? 
I think, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to say. You, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I understand why they did what they did. You'd rather just well, sell so it out I. in a minute than, you you know, than worry about, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, There's also a perception thing where, okay, we'll do two sellouts and it'll look better than running an 8,000 seat building and drawing 4,000 people to it. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, you know, so, you, you know, we'd rather say that we sold out in 30 minutes or whatever it was. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I think they could have drawn more. I don't know how much more. Definitely not twenty thousand. Um, you know, but oh no, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that yeah. was no, that was probably not going to happen. But yeah, they probably could have got an extra thousand in there, another uh, fifteen hundred. I think if they, they'd opened them up a but, little bit more, probably. But the things we talked about, the shows delivering, and the shows being authentic, I think they checked both of those boxes. They did. Um, yes, absolutely. So that was important. I thought, um, and I really think, like I said last week when we previewed it, if you remove Billy Gunn. The, the stink of having Billy Gunn on the shows, I I really don't think the shows would have gotten the heat that they got beforehand. And really, he was the only negative. I mean, everything. These were authentic shows otherwise. Yeah, I mean, Jim Ross was horrible other than him. I mean, he was he was horrendous on, on both nights. So. Yeah, well, I mean, Ross was horrendous. But, I, you know, for, I'm, I just mean from a show quality standpoint. Yeah, no, no, no. From, from, like, if you're in the audience, yeah. You got the authentic New Japan experience if you were in that audience. Except for Billy Gunn, you know, doing te- test of strength spots or whatever. Other than that, you were good. You got the authentic New Japan experience from, from bell to bell. And you got uh, two great nights, so yeah. I don't think they were a, a, a show of the year contenders, like a lot of people are saying. Um, <sighs> night two was pretty damn good. Night one was not. Night one was uneven. The first half of night one was not very good. It got it got much better the last half. Yeah, but, but you know what? I think that night two was top heavier, but night one had had more matches. I would call great. Interesting. I, I think we will we'll, then we'll agree to disagree. I wasn't going to go over all the cards, but let's uh, maybe we'll do that then. So. And as far as Jim Ross goes, you know, we'll, we'll go over the card, but I want to make this quick point. I just watched Slammiversary. And Robert Flores was on play-by-play. Of course, he used to be an ESPN anchor. Are you familiar with Robert Flores? Oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and now he's on MLB Network, and I think he does some stuff on NHL Network. I don't watch hockey, but I, I think he. Uh, but I see him on MLB Network, and he he was on Sports Center for years, and he's a noted wrestling fan. He would make wrestling references during Sports Center all the time. And um, I tell you, he called Slammiversary and was light years better than Jim Ross. And Jim Ross has been doing this for what 30, 40 years. Um, and Robert Flores he felt like a 20 year veteran at calling pro wrestling. He was so good. And professional broadcaster. I mean, that that's, you know, how big of a deal that is. Yeah. And how big of a deal it used to be in pro wrestling is getting the professional broadcast guy in there and having him call your stuff. Yeah. And I mean, look, he wasn't over the top and he, you know, he wasn't, he was very measured. He called it like a a, gimmick. He's not getting himself over. He's doing his fucking job, which is commentating. He called it like a sport and he let Don West do the hype. And that's exactly what you need. Those guys were such a great booth. Uh, you know, and Don West to me, I know people love Don West to me. Sometimes he was grating, um, but this was good. Don, this was Don West was awesome on this show as well, but, but I, we can get to that later, but I just, it was funny to me listening to Robert Flores who had never called pro wrestling. He knew the names of all the moves. Uh, he, he didn't miss call. You know, he, he, he obviously did his homework. He knew the gimmick names of all the finishers. Um, you know, he knew the storylines. So whether he's a fan of impact wrestling or not, at minimum, he did his homework and he came prepared and it sounded like he'd been calling that company for 20 years. And like you say, that's a professional bro. And this is why I have a lot of problems with indie announcers who people think are great. They all stink because I like the polished professional sound. And I know indie promotions can't afford to do that. That's not my point. But the, that it, 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 you, know, you get a professional broadcaster who has product knowledge and loves wrestling and you stick them in that booth and they, this guy is better than almost everyone else in the business, and he's called one show. I was blown away by how great Robert Flores was. 
Um, and I and I know you're going to watch Slammiversary. It's, did you watch any of it yet? I've, I've I've watched some clips. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. But no, even in the clips I heard, I was like, oh my god, this guy's just like. It, I, I thought it would be a little awkward, a little weird, or whatever. But it was like, yeah, like you had thought this guy from the minute TNA started that he was the announcer. Like you thought he was Mike Tanay or whatever. You know, yeah. Like just nailed it absolutely. And and that's the second I heard it, and I I kind of doubted it at first, and then I said, why am I doubting this? This guy's a pro. And the, yeah. there's such a big leap, and, and and wrestling fans don't necessarily know that because they're used to you know, quote unquote, wrestling announcers. And for the past 20, 30 years or whatever, we've had wrestling announcers. We haven't not had, or we had very few of the professional guys, professional play-by-play guys that go in there and then they call wrestling. Mauro Ronaldo is, I would consider one of those, a pro guy. I mean, yes, he, yep. he loves wrestling or whatever, but that's a pro. That's a guy who, no matter what he's going to do, whether it be Bellator, whether it be NXT, whether it be the Cruiserweight Classic, whether it be SmackDown, he goes... Mayweather. Mayweather, yeah, Mayweather, yeah, exactly. I forget he does all the... Yeah, he says, this is my job. I'm going to know everything about this and I'm going to be the expert right now. I'm going to be the absolute expert. And some people might have some grudges with, you know, some things that he says, maybe some of his catchphrase and all that sort of stuff, whatever. But there's, there's something to be said for those professional guys, those professional broadcasters. Because if you, anybody who follows sports with any amount of knowledge or whatever, and anybody who, you know, listens and, and consumes a, a lot of sports and a lot of different sports, you know, a lot of the same guys do a bunch of different sports. Like right now, the White Sox, you, you know, home announcer is Jason Benetti. And I'm sure you're familiar with Jason Benetti. He's a guy who he, he'll do women's softball. He'll do volleyball. He'll do major league baseball. He'll do college baseball he'll do college basketball he'll do football like he can do it all and it's like there's something to be said for that guy who whatever his job is that weekend okay i'm, I'm covering syracuse versus you know florida state this weekend in, in college football i'm gonna know everything about these guys this week or whatever and then the next week he's going to vibe i like but that's just the pros the pros know how to do that yep sometimes wrestling announcers don't know how to do that sometimes wrestling announcers are kind of stuck in their ways and 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 do what they do and and sometimes and like it doesn't work out over the top and boisterous and you 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 don't in that you role. don't have to be the straight man be the one that people can trust i think that's yeah. when you hear about old school wrestling and old school and wrestling announcers there was a lot of that thing where you know it was the old weatherman or whatever it was the old newscaster and it was like i trust this dude what this dude says seems like it means something because he's not playing a gimmick he's not trying to get himself over he's not screaming whatever he thinks that people want to hear he's just calling the action just letting you That's know what's what going he on. He just was measured, and he just called it like he was calling a, a baseball game. And I thought it was so refreshing. And you had Don West there to be boisterous. And to yeah, you don't need two boisterous guys. Yeah, that, that's become an issue lately with, with I think, and it's why I really do not like most play-by-play because everybody's screaming, everyone's loud, everyone's yelling, and it's like, we don't need that. Like, every, we don't need everybody getting over the storylines. Like, let's, you, you know, sometimes a guy that just calls the action is what you need. And then let the other guy, let the color guy add color. That's why they call it that. Play-by-play color, but, you know. I was just so impressed. He knew the names of all these uh, relatively obscure, you know, TNA signature moves and things like that. That guys like me and you don't Good even for him. know, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's like, but he, 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 he clearly did his homework and he did a great job. And, um, you know, it just, I was very impressed by him. And to compare that to Ross circling back to this show, I mean, Ross was just straight up horrendous. He sounded like a guy who put no work into it. Showed um, up that day. I had a sheet of showed paper that, that showed the images of who the guys were and, and relied on that exclusively. And it didn't yeah. work. Well. And he just tried to coast through and, and he just, it was, it was, it was an embarrassing performance by Jim Ross. It really was to confuse Zack Sabre jr. With Willow spray, which makes no sense. <laughs> They're not even in the same match. They don't work the same. They don't look the same to confuse evil and Bushi who look nothing alike. Uh, one man wears a mask and one doesn't um, to call Volador jr a hot 22-year-old who is the hottest star in CMLL and in the business. I mean, what was he talking about? I, you know, Volador Jr. is probably 37 years old, and he's been in CMLL forever. And I, you know what I think happened is he, was, he, he thought he was talking about Dragon Lee, I think. Mm-hmm. He was. 
and yeah, and, and I mean, and and you know, it's just twenty two. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and, and, you know, and, and to call and you know, and just all of the, the teriyaki other, boys. I was a big fan of the teriyaki boys on this weekend too. They were great. Yeah, and his multiple references to the. The, to the television show Deadwood, which has been off the air for 10 years. And it was just a weird, weird. I don't remember those. When did he mention Deadwood? He made about three or four references to the television show Deadwood. I mean, you know, like, did he just binge watch Deadwood? He must have I mean, just got done watching. Why is that on his mind? You know, it's like, I don't, I, you the know. And the Tuck wasn't on the air. He had to go to Deadwood. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, which is a minor thing, but when you combine it with all of the other terrible mistakes that he made, and forget about knowing the name. I just told you, Robert Flores came prepared, knew the names of every hole. Oh, Jesus. Every- I don't think he called one move the entire time. Yeah. He didn't call, you know, you know, and he just didn't, yeah, he didn't know the names of anything, you know? And the thing with Josh Barnett, who on the flip side I thought was excellent, I could, I can't rave enough about Josh Barnett. I thought he was I thought awesome. Barnett was okay, but only because he was trying to juggle whatever Ross I mean there was multiple times where Ross would go ah, and then just not say anything and then like Barnett had to like ruffle through his papers and be like ah Tanahashi like because it's it, guessing what Jim Ross was trying to talk about or what so I thought he took him off Barnett's game a little bit too when Barnett was able to kind of go on his own and and do his own thing I thought he was good but there were many times where Ross was stumbling or or didn't know something and it, it was up to Barnett to kind of save the day or whatever and he didn't always save it right away or it, sometimes when, didn't when, Ro- right, when Ross is the guy who's been in the booth for decades and should be the one um he didn't lead. He didn't lead, and Barnett had to lead that. And Barnett was right. not, I don't think, prepared to do that. I, I just don't feel like Ross took the job seriously. No. And I think that um, he didn't do any homework. And Barnett just has a unique style that appeals to me because he just calls it like a fight. And um, he's a guy who, okay, he may not call things by their gimmick pro wrestling names, but if you notice what Barnett does, is he calls them by what they're really, what the holds really are. And if you're not going to know that it's called the red ink, at least call it you know, a reverse, you know, neck crank or whatever. You know what I mean? He'll call things what they really are, even if he doesn't use the gimmick name. And to me, that's acceptable. I don't have a problem with that. You know, whereas Ross has slipped into what a maneuver territory. And, you know, he's got to be better than that. He's got to know these things, you know? And, and, and I thought Barnett, um, you know, again, Barnett is not the most exuberant guy. That's not his style. And I'm okay with that. I know a lot of people don't like his lack of energy, but he's not a guy who's going to scream and yell. That's just not his style. It appeal his style appealed to me a lot and appeals to me a lot. I, I thought he did an excellent job. Um, I, I like how he describes what the holds and the moves are doing to the body. He just brings that. It, it's easy to suspend disbelief when you're listening to Josh Barnett. Um, and, and with a lot of announcers, it's not because you know that's either not their focus or they're just not good at it. Um, but yeah, Ross was embarrassingly bad. I mean, I, I don't think. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can be strong enough in putting over how horrible he was. And, um, you know, if, if I was in charge of whoever's in charge of picking these announcers, I'm not sure I'd want him back. No, he was that it's bad. Not, it's not worth the PR of, of having Jim Ross there. If that's if, if people if that's tune in and this guy has no fucking clue who anybody is like that. does. I mean, if it's your first time there and maybe it's your first time jumping into New Japan or whatever, and this guy doesn't know who Will Ospreay or Zack Sabre are and, and mixes them up or whatever. You know th- that's people's gateway. You want that first entry, the first per- the first person you hear should be the person that educates you. You know what I mean? Like if if I just jumped in there, I want to know that this guy that's talking knows everything and can educate me, who I'm trying to learn. And th- if this guy can't fucking figure out who everybody is, how am I going to figure out who everybody is? I mean, Rich, he's been calling these New Japan matches with Barnett for. Well, there's what? no excuse. I mean, there's absolutely no excuse. Two years now or a year? How long is Morrow been? Uh, 
Well, Mars been gone. Yeah, yeah, year and a half too. Yeah, so it's, whatever it's, it is. I mean, the really point no is, shoot. he's he called every show that led up to this show. It's not like he shouldn't have been privy to who these people were or what the stories were. Uh, you know, and, and it, it's it's not like he it's not, this isn't like Wrestle Kingdom Nine where he parachuted in and then parachuted out. He's been calling this company. I mean, this was really an inexcusable performance. This was a fireable performance. It really was. Mm-hmm. I'd fire him if I was in charge. I don't know what kind of contract he has. He would not call another New Japan show if it were up to me. Um, you know who I'd call? I'd call Robert Flores. That's what I would do. I would call Robert Flores to call the next time they got something live on Access. I would. It was, it was um, a rare day where we had people going, oh, I wish I had Matt Stryker. <laughs> like, one of the rare opportunities. Matt Stryker like- would have done a, 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 an exponentially better job yeah. than Jim Ross mm-hmm. did. As long as you have someone, if you have someone producing Matt Stryker and saying, Matt, you're going to cut out the bullshit today. You're just going to call the moves. You're going to do play-by-play. You're going to leave your politics out of it. You're going to leave your cringy jokes out of it. Just call, he would. He, he, there's nothing yeah, wrong yeah, with him yeah. if that's the case. Mm-hmm. His problem is he has to be a goofball and try to put himself over. But as far as calling the action, he, he's fine. He's way better than that. And he would have under he would have known who people were for God. I mean, that's, I mean, come on. This was un, this was unacceptable. He should be fired. I don't he won't be. But uh it was one of the worst announcing jobs that I can recall. I mean, especially by someone who's a professional. I mean, he hasn't exactly knocked it out of the park. You know, when he pops into WWE now and then and whatnot. And we'll see how he does with this May Young Classic. Which, oh, my God. Can you even imagine? I, I don't, you know. He's been calling I, this, like you said, he's been calling this company. And he doesn't know who anybody is. He's been calling, you know, the main events or whatever. The, you know, the big matches, the big shows or whatever. And he still kind of didn't know who everybody was. That that May Young Classic is going to be an absolute train wreck. You know, I don't feel like he's this bad on on the the taped access show, though. And uh, he's, he's not. not good, no, I don't think he's this bad. And I don't think, you know, Wrestle Kingdom 9, I think he tried. I think he put effort into that. Um, he clearly had notes. <clears throat> um, but he put effort into it. And I feel like he tried, even if he was a little shaky during that show. And I, I thought he got stronger yeah. as the show And he's obviously along. had a lot going on in his life recently that, you know, and, and maybe that's when you step up and say, hey, guys, look, I, I can't focus. I, I got enough going on in my life. You know, I just had the tragic death of my wife. I, I you know, I, I, I'm trying to watch this stuff. I'm trying to catch up. I can't do it. They can I don't know. I, look, like, I have sympathy for a situation. That was a horrible, horrible thing that happened yeah. to his wife. Um, and I feel bad for him and I, I feel bad for her. And, and that was a horrible situation. But look, man, he's taking the gigs. You know, so if you're going to take the gig, you got to perform. And this was not like the, his first gig back. He's called matches. He's called boxing since then. Um, you know, so he's taken jobs in the interim. Um, it's the kind of thing where, you know, if an athlete, were, you know, plays injured, I got to hold you accountable for your performance. You know, it's, you, you, you know, if you're not hurt, don't play. You know, it's kind of the same thing. He's taken the gigs. He's got to perform. I'd fire him. I'm sorry. I thought he was that bad. Let's get over. Uh, let's go over these cards here a little bit. Um, do we? I, do you want to go every single match? Because I don't know that like we need to go. Every we can blow match. through a lot of them. Um, there's no reason to go in debt. Look, that's the other thing. That's part of what made these authentic New Japan shows. The first half of these shows weren't also weren't all that hot. You know, you had a lot of multi man tags and things like that. But I do want to say the opener on night one, the Chaos versus Bullet Club match. I thought that was. A, I I think that. Um, I'm way higher on that match than you were just based on your Twitter yeah, reactions. Yeah, you were way higher than just about anybody. I saw so you loved it more. I thought this match was awesome. I thought this was a perfect opener. I thought it was close to four stars. Um, you know, this was Beretta, the Briscoes, and uh, Rocky Romero and Osprey against uh, Fale, Skrull, the Bucks, and Yujiro. 
I thought, um, you know, this was a perfect fun opener where everybody got all their shit in. I thought the stuff with Osprey and Skrull was tremendous, but it always is with those two. I thought Osprey was the star of the match, which he usually is in these sorts of matches, but you know, this is what, how they book him. You know, it's, it's not June. So they're not going to do anything with Will Ospreay. Why he wasn't featured on these shows as a, as a main player in his company. Yeah. Makes no sense to me. Once this weekend was done, I kind of just shrugged and went, all right, <laughs> like, this I week, guess that's it. Like, I guess we're done. This weekend should have been about Kenny Omega, yeah. Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay. I guess it's he over. I, been, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, he should have been the third biggest he should have been pushed to the fucking moon on these shows. And it's a joke that he wasn't. And he works these multi-man tags and, and you know, he's shy. It's not like he doesn't shine in these matches, rich. He's tremendous in these matches. Yeah, he's doing a Sasuke specials. They look fucking great. And he's yeah. landing on his feet and the crowd's going nuts. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's like- spot where he gives the standing uh, Spanish fly to, to, to uh squirrel, which they do in like every match that they have. It pops me every time and it catches me off guard every time. And they do it in every match. It's they do a good job of camera cutting it too. They, it's always, they always do a good job of, yeah. Uh, yeah, progress does it really well, and anywhere they've done it is is good about hitting it exact. Because if you zoom out and you see it coming, it's not as fun as as you just see scroll bounce off the ropes, and then all of a sudden there's Will Osprey. Like they just they have a really good job of uh, of framing it. So yeah, and this was no ex- uh, no exception. This was a great job too. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a good little hot opener. I mean, I you liked it a lot more than I did, but I thought it was exactly what it needed to be for the opener. It was you know like I said, Osprey doing a bunch of flips so people could cheer. Scroll doing his thing so everybody can kind of laugh, and then the Bucks throwing super kicks, and that's that's really all you want. And then you got the Briscoes being nuts. So yeah. Yeah, and a lot of creative spots. and Which is a great entry point for you just sitting down. You just got ready for the show. Here's a bunch of shit thrown at you fast, quick, and guys that you like. So, yeah, it was, it was as good as you could so have done. charismatic. How do you not have an Osprey-Squirrel match on one of these shows? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand. I, I, you know, I know that's not, you know, what New Japan does or whatever, but it's a, you know, it, these are special shows, you know. Do, have an Osprey-Squirrel match and have the winner get a fucking junior title shot. You know what I mean? Like... And they can lose it. It doesn't, you know, you know, it's, I don't know. It just, it doesn't make sense. They're not going to do it. It's time for us to just stop even caring or trying. It's it's not going to happen. So, Um, okay. So then we had, uh, uh, LIJ, uh, this was Bushi, evil Hiromu and, uh, Sonata in this case, because Naito was in the tournament on this night against the three CMLL wrestlers, uh, Dragon Lee, the spry youngster, Volador Jr. And (laughs) Teton, along with Jushin Liger. Jushin Liger, over like crazy, always is, uh, you know, um, in, in Europe or the United States. People love Liger as well they should. Um, and the, the takeaway here was the uh, was uh, LIJ winning the match, and it was uh, – um, why am I stuttering here? Uh, Teton took the pin from, uh, from uh, Takahashi with the um, – what does he call his uh, – I feel like Jim Ross right now. What does he call his <laughs> reverse DDT gimmick? Um, but here's the thing. I don't call wrestling matches, so I don't need to know the names. Of right. The you're not getting paid to do it. Yeah. Well, time bomb, uh, right? It's a time bomb. Some yeah, bomb. Time. It's something like that. Yeah. Time bomb, right? Pretty obvious. That was an easy one. I, I for, See, I forget the easy ones too. Uh, short match, not much to it. Um, th- 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 look, there were some nice sequences between Dragon Lee and, and, and Takahashi, which you've come to expect. And I'll tell you, Ross did do a good job putting over the rivalry. He did. he did, yeah, he, he did. He did nail that a little bit, which was which was great. And it's hard not to because they made it very obvious that these two dudes, you know, they squared off. Everybody got out of the ring, and then they just slapped each other for like five minutes. All the crowd just went absolutely nuts. So yeah, it was, it was pretty that. obvious that everybody was focusing on that moment. So that you know, it's kind of a. I love the point you made that you want to see these guys feud for decades, like Tito Santana and Rick yeah. Martel. 
Uh, yeah, I want it forever. Just like in 2027, it's like, oh shit. Like even if they're in different companies or whatever, like they just get in a tag match and they look at each other. Oh fuck. And then they just say, you know, go nuts at one another and chop each other to death or whatever. Like I want that just every indie, every Mexican promotion, every like once every year for the next two decades, just book these guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then they just, every single time they get in the ring, they just can't, they want to just destroy one another. Never right. team even, up. Even never in a match be like friends. This. I never. Right. right. I never want them to be friends. I always want them to go nuts at each other every single time they see one another. So, yeah. Yeah. Even in a match like this where they just are in there briefly, you know, they just have this hate, this vitriol towards right. each other. They just look, no one else is in the ring. And they go, ah, they just start scratching at each other and punching each other and kicking each other. It's great. Yeah. It was awesome. Next up was the worst match of the United States tournament, Lethal and Hangman Page. Oof. Yeah. Now, you hated this with a passion. Um, I, this may have been a victim for me of expectations because I saw everybody putting it down. So I was expecting to see one of the worst things ever. And to me, it was just a match. It was just a two and a half star match. You know what I mean? Uh, with a horrible botched finish. Um, if you want to knock a half a star off, if you're a star guy for that, but uh, it didn't offend me the way it offended others. I'm sure watching it live and you're wanting to see a good show. And the previous match was just a match that this was probably frustrating. Plus it's two guys who aren't new Japan regulars. They're just kind of new Japan part-timers. It's not what people wanted. Wasn't a great match. Shitty finish. I get why people hated it. Um, It wasn't nearly as bad as I was led to believe, but it was certainly not a match that I will ever watch again. You still there? I am still. Oh, here. sorry, you broke up there a little bit. Okay, you're back. So, uh, yeah, were you were you sending it to me now for my thoughts? I, this was, the yeah. floor was yours, sir. I guess okay, all of sorry, my you hot cut takes, out there. I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, so that all was of my it. hot takes were lost, but basically it was just a match. What did you think? Yeah, that was about it. I, I really the problem for me, and I mentioned this in the review, and I, I kind of had an interesting question. I wanted to talk about this a little bit more, and maybe uh, I'm glad this is kind of where we can discuss a little bit. Is that I thought one of the things that sucked about this match is that it comes in. And Jay Lethal's got taped up ribs or whatever. We laughed last week about the taped up ribs or whatever. Well, he's selling from, you know, best in the world. Or, or yeah, best in the world, right? His, the injury that he had at the pay-per-view or whatever. And, you know, Jim Ross puts it over immediately. And the entire match, Lethal's selling the ribs. And he's working slow. And he can barely move because his ribs hurt or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, I know that they probably should. But does New Japan really have to live up to, you know, ROH canon? In that respect, where if, if this guy got hurt on ROH TV, does New Japan necessarily have to then, when that guy comes to work for their show, work an angle where this guy can't move and he's hurt and, and oh, he's so slow? And because and, I thought it really hurt this match. And it's like, damn, like you got this is the US t- tournament. This is a big deal for your company, your thing, or whatever. And you're using it to build a storyline for Ring of Honor. And, and I know that we talk about this relationship being kind of weird or whatever. If I'm New Japan, I go, fuck that. Lethal, go out there. Do, do your thing. Mm, I'll disagree. I think that. It's good that they recognize each other's storylines to an extent. Um, they are sister promotions, I guess, or partners or whatever you want to call it. So I, I do think it's a good thing. I think that the idea here was that the lethal rib injury and the angle from ROH was the story of the match. And yeah, I do. Yeah, agree but the story fucking sucked, though. No, and it, it probably made the hurt the match for sure. Yeah, it made I the match agree. fucking shitty. So if I'm New Japan, I go, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I don't care. Yeah, I guess. Um, like the, if, I if it's going to be a dull, emotionless match where this guy sells the ribs the entire time and half the people in the audience have no fucking clue why he's hurt or why he comes out with taped up ribs. Because let's be honest, how many of those people were watching Best in the World? Maybe if, maybe quite a few, but I, I doubt that many. And you got Jim Ross kind of going, oh, yeah, you got hurt at the ROH pay-per-view, giving no background. New Japan didn't give you background. Nobody gave you background to this. If you watch Ring of Honor, you know this. But if you watch New Japan, you have no fucking clue. 
And we talk about that all the time where you have Ring of Honor things where they're in Japan and these guys are doing things that if there's not going to be as much cohesion as we, you know, as we're led to believe there is between these two, like, I don't know that you necessarily need to have this guy come out here and sell an injury from a paper. Yeah, I think the idea that we were paired up in the first round, though, is that because they have issues in Ring of Honor, I think that was part of the reason they were paired up in the first round. So if you're going to pair them up for that reason, then why not recognize the angle? But I do see see what you're saying, though. New Japan could just say, well, look, we're just – we're doing our own thing. We don't care what happened in Ring of Honor. Um, right, media, especially if it's going to be a match where the guy can't move because of the injury. Like yeah, I think that that it hurt the match. I mean, it absolutely made it a lesser match because he was selling the ribs the entire time. Yeah, some people might say, "Look, not me." Some people might say they like that aspect of that. Look, I saw people putting this match over. Believe it or not, um, I don't okay. agree. I don't <laughs> agree, uh, but I saw people putting <laughs> yeah. Page over. Um, you know, I, look to me, Page is not uh, New Japan caliber. Uh, I know that sounds no. harsh. Um, look, he's young. I think he's like 24 years old. He obviously has some potential, um, but he has not impressed me at all ever in New Japan. Um, you know, if you take away that shooting star press off the apron, do you remember anything this guy ever does? No. Uh, he's, he's the definition of a jag when he's when he's on shows like this where he's totally outclassed by like you know 70 percent of the roster. Um, I don't know what they see in him. I really don't. Um, I, it's probably is coming off harsh, but, um, I don't know. I guess as an underneath guy, he's fine, but here we go again. He's getting another tag team title shot, you know, off the heels of it a, it was the focal point of, of a night two angle. Yeah. We'll talk about that here right. in a little bit. I mean, that, that's where it's just like, ah, oh, geez, like what, what's going on here. And uh, one more thing about this match and, and it'll actually play in a little bit tonight too. Um, is a lethal injection is I, I hate that move. It's so bad. It's, it, it relies on so many things to look good and it's so hard for guys to make a good It's fancy. Right, it's just too much. You need you need the guy that's taking it to be in the right spot. The guy who's taking it basically has to put his head in Jay Lethal's arms, and if he doesn't, the whole thing looks like shit. And guess what? Hangman Page missed it by an inch, and Lethal, you know, missed him by a, 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 a fucking inch. It was a foot. Where Lethal yeah. does the move, Hangman Page's head is nowhere near it. Hangman Page then sells it or whatever, and then they do the dumbass thing where they look at each other and then like. Quickly, they go right back to it and then they do the lethal injection again, which, yeah, I mean, it, that the ending really, I mean, you said like for, for certain people that start, the ending absolutely killed it for me. I mean, it was already not a very good match and that ending was just like, pfft, sucks. But we'll talk about it again because there was a guy on another night that sold the lethal injection the best I've ever seen. So, hey, you, because he's great at pro wrestling and at Hangman Page is not. So, well, this is what I'm saying. You know, same opponent, two different guys. And then look at the two matches. Like literally my favorite match of the entire weekend and one of my favorite matches of the year and one of the my least favorite matches of you know, the entire weekend. Oh, uh, you know, so if you think I'm just banging on Hangman Page, I mean, you know, you know, Kenny Omega is Kenny Omega right. and Page. I mean, let's be honest. Okay, so um, Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, second match of the tournament. I know that you love this match. Uh, I liked it a lot as well. This is where... To uh, to continue the Jim Ross theme, business picked up on this show, Rich. <laughs> it did, um, yeah. Was... This I tell you, I loved Zack Saber Jr. here, um, and I love the story of this match. And I know you want to say a lot about it, so I'll be quick. I love the story here that Juice just wasn't in his league, and no matter what Juice did, Zack was one step ahead and had an answer. And eventually, he just ripped the man's limbs from his body and forced him to tap out. I just thought it was a great story, and I thought both guys were great in the match. Yeah, I think that that 
is the story to a T where, where Juice had to go 110% in this match. He had to give every little bit of effort he had, everything. That, and Sabre just kind of fucked around with him for a while until it was like, all right, <laughs> you're done. Like, you know, I'm going to put you in this octopus hold. You're going to reach for the ropes. The crowd's going to go nuts. But then I'm just going to grab your arm and, and wrench it back. And then you're going to tap out. Like, it was just Sabre kind of playing around a little bit. And, and that's good. I love, you know, prick Zack Sabre. There's nothing better. But to his credit, though, Juice Robinson, that, that 110% that we're talking about that he gave the entire match, had the crowd just going nuts for him. Because you can't help but shoot root for the guy. This is a guy that, that the second the bell rang was all effort. The entire time, I got it. Because the only way he was going to win was by being Mr. Effort, by being all over the place, by being hot, by, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. Where Sabre, you know, he was trying to catch him in a few moments where Sabre was just kind of chilling, where Sabre maybe wasn't focused or whatever. But then when it was all said and done, Sabre wanted to put him away. Put him in that octopus hold, wrench the arm back, you know, didn't let him get to the ropes, and that was it. And 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 Juice was just done. So yeah, I thought it was just a, a perfect match, so much better than it was the prior match. I mean, this this just blew that prior match out of the water because it was two guys that just worked perfect. And and it can't be said enough that Zack Saber just being Zack Saber and not Suzuki Gun Zack Saber was uh, a night and day difference between what we get, you know, in, in proper New Japan Zack Saber and what we got here, where it's just a guy that works. He can still be a prick. He can still be a heel or whatever but he doesn't have to rely on other stuff. He can rely on being the better wrestler on this night, and that's absolutely what it was here. This is what I want out of Zack Sabre Jr. This. No Suzuki Gun shenanigans. Go in there and just have great matches. Yeah, you can be a dick. You can kick the guy in the head when he's down and, and be a little fuck or whatever, which is fine. That's where he's best at. And you can still do that with him being in Suzuki Gun, but yeah, you didn't have to have Taichi run in and hit him with the chair to make it work. You know, so. And this was just, this was Juice just, just not being able to get the upper hand on a veteran who just had him outclassed yeah. on the mat. Great story. And it was very similar to the story that, that Juice told in the Goto match. Remember the Goto Juice match for the, um, yeah, I guess of course, it was, yeah. that was the, uh, Never title, right? It was never, yeah. It was for the never before he lost it to Suzuki, yeah. Where again, the story of that match was Juice was outclassed by this. Yeah, he gave it his all, and he almost had it, but it's like, no, I'm a tier below. Damn it! All right, it's tier below, and it's like he didn't fight. He didn't fight either of these matches fifty fifty, and um, you know, this is a, you know, just a fascinating period for his elevation. I just, I just love all of Juice's stuff right now, and um, you know, um, you know, he was saying some comments too. He's like, you know. Maybe I don't need to be a WWE superstar. He said, there's nothing wrong with being a New Japan superstar. You know what these United States shows are doing and this worldwide expansion is doing is we always allude to it with Omega where Omega can see himself as a major star in the United States in this company without having to go to the other company. It's guys like Juice Robinson and Michael Elgin who may see this as a path too. You know what I mean? It's like that's the whole other aspect of this expansion that I think a lot of people are missing. And New Japan could become a... a destination for other people who are disgruntled who may see wow if if cj parker can do this in this company and earn his way and start from the bottom and and you know now he's being a push commodity and if mike elgin whose career was in the shitter i mean let's be honest that was you know a laughing stock you know of the indie scene before he came to new japan people were laughing at his inclusion in g1 and now look at Mike Elgin's, where Mike Elgin's career is. You know, it, it turned his career around. You know, these are these are all parts of the expansion that that, that need to be spoken about. Uh, Jay White and Taguchi Japan, which in this case was uh, Tanahashi Kushida. Is David Finley part of Taguchi Japan? I don't know that he is. He's yeah, I don't know if he's a proper. I don't know if he's a proper Japan. member. So yeah, that's Wikipedia has him as a proper member, but I, don't, I do not believe that is accurate. But they took on the Tempura Boys, not the Teriyaki Boys, and. Uh, <laughs> 
And the Hunter Club, which I find it interesting that Billy Gunn is still a member of the Hunter Club. Even for his match with Tanahashi, he came out to the Hunter Club uh, Tron, <laughs> uh, which is Billy Gunn and Yoshitatsu, of course. This was an interesting match because it was the return to New Japan of Jay White, Sho Tanaka, and Yohei Komatsu. They are young boys no more. And if you didn't think so, Jay White pins the veteran. Now he's the lowest ranked veteran, but a veteran nonetheless, Yoshitatsu. Two straight nights, Jay White scores a fall. Rich, that's big. big. Oh, no, it's huge. It's definitely big. Yeah, and I mentioned that in my review. And in in New Japan canon, the last time we, you know, in quotes, saw this guy, he was a young lion. And now for people that have seen him again, this was the symbolic, this guy's not a young lion anymore. This is a man. (laughs) This guy is is ready to go. Yeah, and He's a pushed commodity because he scored two pence. Exactly, yeah. So so if you're just watching this and you're a New Japan candidate, you only watch New Japan, you're maybe native Japanese or whatever, you watch this, you see Jay White pinning Yoshitatsu. That's a huge deal. For some people, it's, yeah, whatever, Jay White, yeah, whatever, he's in Ring of Honor. It's a big deal. This is, and we said it at the time before he left or whatever, this is a guy that some people see as a star. And I thought on this night, the fact that he got the pinfall, not Kushida, not Tanahashi, not even Tanaka or Kamatsu, none of those guys. The fact that Jay White of all these guys got the pinfall is, that's important. It wasn't even, not David Finley, you know what I mean? Right. Jay White got the pinfall, and that is something, it's not something they just throw away. There's a reason why he got that, and that's a sign that they see something, that's a guy that they see for the future. That's a future star for them. He had Tanahashi and Kushida on his team, and he scored Mm -hmm. the fall. And Tanaka and Kamatsu did not take the fall, which is also noteworthy. It was Yoshitatsu, which is a, you know, says something about them not wanting Tanaka and Kamatsu to to come off at a loss here either. So uh, I think the elevation of Jay White is a secondary story on these shows where he scored two falls on these shows, which was uh, definitely noteworthy, definitely important, and definitely something. He was more pushed than Will Ospreay, if we're being honest. Like, let's go right there. Like, but I mean, you know what? I don't have a major problem with that because he is one of their dojo guys. No, I get it. Yeah, no, I get it. I absolutely do. It's just kind of funny when we're talking about that. It but yeah, is, yeah. It, it, it makes yeah. I, I I get why they're doing it, but yeah, it's I wouldn't. I you know I like Jay White. He can have his turn, but you know when he got Will Ospreay this year, why don't you? But you know, again, it's, we're not going to do it anymore. It's no, it's not even worth it. It's not the time or place for it, but it's just utterly ridiculous. Uh, you know the length of time you have these guys. Use them to their full capacity. Um, we had War Machine and Gorillas of Destiny. Now. A pre-match promo took place. Girls of Destiny used some underhanded tactics to beat War Machine last time. So Ray Rose said, you know what? If you guys want to use weapons, let's just make this no DQ. Apparently, uh, the New Japan officials uh, were okay with this, provided that God was okay with it. So it became a no disqualification match, which confused the elderly Jim Ross to no end during the match, as he could not grasp that this was no disqualification, as he kept uh, alluding to the fact that um, he did not understand what the rules were anymore. Jim, it's no DQ. <laughs> You've done this There before. are no rules. Think of every Stone Cold Steve Austin Attitude Era pay-per-view main event where they did the exact same thing, where Vince McMahon would come out and say, this match is now no disqualification, and Stone Cold would go, oh, God damn it!" and, you know, they'd walk and brawl. Around. It was every, like, this was a layup for you. This is exactly what you called for years. This exact same do you think it's the age? Do you think it's the age catching up at Ross, or maybe. do you think it's hitting the bottle? I mean, let's be honest. Little both, maybe. I, I don't know what it was. I think it's age. I think uh, I, I don't know. It's just I think it's a guy who just was not in tune at all with what's going on and just couldn't care, couldn't think. Yeah, you know, I I don't know who the hell knows what it is. I don't want to. I think it's a lack of caring. Uh, maybe a lack of caring. I don't know. But for this man who's been calling wrestling for decades to not be able to grasp. The idea of a no DQ can, match. Where, where's the count? Why are they not counting? It's like it's a no fucking disqualification match. Like, god damn it, Jim. Like, just shut up. 
I've seen reviews. Point, I just wanted to pause. I just wanted to. I was just like, just mute this. It's better without him. Like I was hoping. I, I, I asked my guy. I was I was at a friend's house and he had like a stereo set up. And I said, "Do you know if you can like mute a channel on this, or if it's like a five point one? Because sometimes they'll put the commentators on a certain channel. If you have a nice right. sound system." You can right. find a way to mute, you know, the second channel or whatever, and keep all the others. And I was like, we got to figure this out. Like, I, I can't listen to this guy anymore. It's yeah, and especially especially a network like Axis, which is ahead of the curve technolo- technology wise. A lot of time, you know, um, maybe they would have set something up like that, but I guess you couldn't do it, huh? No, they didn't have the speaker set up to do it, and, and yeah, but I, I really wanted. This was the point. It was this match. Where I was like, we got to find a way to get this. I can't take this guy anymore. It's it's enough. <laughs> so I've seen reviews all over the board for this match. Um, I was listening to, I can't pronounce the name of the show. What's John Carroll's new show called? Oh, God, Pulse you want me to pronounce that thing? I have no idea. It's on our network, though. It's very good. I Wrestling no Omakatsu or something like that. Let's but that. Uh, he, I have no idea how to pronounce it, but very good show, though. You should definitely listen to it. I listened today. He had the Hawk, Jeff Hawkins, on, and uh, they had a very meta conversation about modern WWE, which I thought was fascinating. I think Hawkins brought a great perspective to that. Uh, and it was two people who really don't have any devotion to WWE. They're pretty much impartial viewers of the company, so it was a very interesting discussion from that standpoint. And uh, they talked about these shows a little bit, and um, you know, the, the the both of them enjoyed this match more than some other people that I, the, uh, the, some other reviews that I've seen. I thought it was okay. Um, I, I thought it was a little sloppy, but I thought Jeff Hawkins made a great point. In a no DQ match like this, a no DQ grudge match, you don't mind a little sloppiness. So I can kind of see that perspective. Uh, it didn't blow me away. It wasn't my favorite Grills of Destiny match by far. Uh, but I did think it was, uh, it was, it was decent. It was watchable. Um, what I thought was odd was how quickly they cut away when the match ended. They really didn't let the title change breathe, which I thought was one of the production full pause that you've been complaining they about. They didn't even let it happen. <laughs> it was like, they have the titles. Okay. Sammy Hagar, rock and roll road trip. Like they didn't even let the guys move it to get the titles above their heads before they cut. It was very weird. Yeah. So, uh, so what'd you think? I mean, it's just a, you know, uh, yeah, it was fine. I mean, I gave it, I think three and a quarter. Um, and that's probably, I mean, the first half was pretty boring cause it was just kind of a dull walk and brawling. Uh, and then I thought the, the, the second half was pretty brutal. You know, you got the table spot, you got a little bit of the sloppiness, a little bit of the, the power offense that war machines great at. So yeah, I liked the second half, but I don't know that it was greater a match that I would say go out of your way to watch. It was fine, but yeah, I, I, I could take it or leave it for the most part. And now we're going to get War Machine against Adam Page and Haku or whoever the fuck, and I really don't care about that. The, 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 the booking of the tag titles is the is the bigger picture story here. It's hard to care about these titles. It really is. And um, I don't know if Lance Archer is ever going to come back, but God, I mean, Killer Elite Squad would just save be us. Such yes. <laughs> a welcome addition to just clean this shit up or... Um, you know, the the dark Twitter rumblings or that there's a possibility that a another former pair of uh, tag team champions could be returning to this company um, at some point uh, when their deal expires with the current company that they're with or, or, or you know, they may even ask for their release. So uh, I'm not too excited about that particular team returning, but uh, I would Killer Elite Squad would be a, a very much a welcome addition to clean this shit up. Um, and it's weird because I like War Machine. I like Gorillas of Destiny. I just don't like the way these titles are booked. Can we just put the titles on somebody and let them hold them for nine or ten months? You know what I mean? And 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 build the credibility back up. So that's my issue there. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I got no strong thoughts on it. It's just yeah, that that division just kind of. Uh, I mostly just want the matches to be over when they happen. It's just yeah. Like, do you uh, care who wins matches? No, don't ever? care. 
Don't care. It's I just want him to be care. I just want them to, to move on and, and, and they're fine matches. They're okay. And that's the problem too, is they're, they're always like a baseline of, okay. We talked about that many years ago with the junior titles where it was like, they reached this baseline of like, every time they went out, there was three and a quarter, three and a half or whatever. And it's the same guys. And they just trade the titles back and forth and back and forth and back. That's the point where it's like so mundane and so just okay. That like, you don't care anymore. It's like if they just went and bombed one time, it almost kind of reset you a little bit, but it's like, they go in there. They're fine. It's over. A new team wins new tag titles. Okay. Whatever. Like, it's just yeah, it, it it's it's just maddening, but yeah, that is it is what it's, it is. It's hard to care. I, I don't care who wins any of these matches. That's no. the problem. Um Tomohiro Ishii, in what many would consider an upset, defeats Tetsuya Naito in the third match in the US title tournament. Um if we had not been spoiled, would you have been surprised by the result? Uh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. I would okay. not have thought Tomohiro Ishii would, would have moved on here. I thought Naito for sure would have okay. been protected. But in a little bit of the build up though, I did like that they built it up that Naito didn't give a fuck about this title. And didn't care, but he always says that, and then a lot of times we'll deliver anyway. So I thought that was maybe a little bit of a if I didn't know, like I was wondering. And and again, like I, I we weren't hundred percent positive that that's what they were going with. We heard it from a few people, but you never know. Sometimes the same people talk, and it just gets regurgitated by you know the same five people have the right. same information, same. So so I you know going in, I I had a feeling that Ishii was going to win. That's what we were told, but part of me was like, oh, I wonder if they're doing a little bit of the red herring thing or whatever, where Naito's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck, who cares, or whatever, and then he goes out there and just dominates, and, you know, then he wins the title. That, you know what I mean? Like, I thought there was a possibility that that could, could play into it a little bit, but yeah, when Ishii won, I, it was the right call when he won, but I, I was a little surprised, too. This was not their best match, but it was still an awesome match. They've had better, though, because these two guys just work very well together. Um, I did think it was an awesome match, though. Um, easily the best match on the show to this point, in my opinion. I don't know if you preferred the uh, Sabre uh, juice match to this. This I, this I preferred a little bit more, but uh, yeah. neck and neck. But I thought this one a little bit more, just because Ishii's just so goddamn good. Like, yeah, how do you not root for that guy? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And I, I thought about it in my review. It's just it sucks you in. You know, it, it, you're in. You're caught in this whirlwind of you can't help but just love Ishii. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way you could show up to this show, even if you're in a Lij hat and an Lij shirt or whatever. At some point during this match, you probably said ah, i just really want Ishii to win Ishii deserves to win this match you know what i mean like you can't help but get that at some point during the Ishii match it's just incredible rich i think the three best wrestlers in the world are in this company i think it's okada omega and Ishii. i think Ishii's that good um you know right now he's better than aj styles because aj styles isn't having much of a year um i think those are the three best wrestlers in the world right now uh and they're all here and you want to throw in hiromu they might have the four best wrestlers in the world right now uh but Ishii is incredible um, he doesn't get his due and he's on what year five of being awesome. And I know he had a whole career before this where he wasn't, you know, at this level, but, uh, man, he's the back end of this guy's career. He is really putting it together and he's 41 years old. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, uh, to work matches at this level, but yeah, Tomohiro Ishii is, is, is and I thought he was even better in the, the Omega match, which yeah, again, we'll, we'll talk about that here, but yeah, and I thought one of the interesting parts about this too is Jim Ross even, you know, the vortex of, of Ishii even grabs Jim Ross. He couldn't even help it. Right. He was marking out the entire time for Ishii as well. It's like, you know, he's like, eh, you know, he's, he's kind of mumbling through everything else. Ishii gets on there and he's old school Jim Ross, just snaps into action. You can tell he loves the guy. You can tell he loves his style, loves everything. That's a guy who you just can't help it. Like everybody that watches him, everybody that, that is there live, everybody that's watching on pay-per-view, everyone that's watching on you can't help but just want that guy to win and want him to succeed and just get sucked into his matches. There's no way to be bored by a Tomohiro Ishii match. You know what I mean? There's no way you're going to go to the bathroom during the middle of an Ishii match. You don't want to miss anything. He's the best seller on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's, um, 
no one puts over the idea of exhaustion. No one takes a beating quite like this guy and no one gets you emotionally invested quite like this guy when he's taking a beating. And those are, you know, the, 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 the trademarks of great selling. I mean, the guy is just, he's just awesome, you know, and I'm not sure he, he, he gets the credit that he deserves. It always seems like he has these great matches and we're fawning about the other guy. And I don't know that that's fair. Um, Kenny Omega, Michael Elgin, to me, this was the best match on this show. Um, it was the first of three oh, yeah. 100% incredible Kenny Omega matches um, on these two shows. And Mike Elgin, another guy who quietly just delivers every time in these sorts of spots, whether it's with Naito or Omega or whoever else. Um, just a great match. You know, I, I, I don't have a ton to say about it other than Kenny Omega might be the hardest working wrestler in the world when he's in these big matches. He goes out there in these big singles matches and I don't think there's anybody who tries harder to put in excellent performances than Kenny Omega does. And quite honestly, I, I, you know, I'm starting to question whether he can hold up not only physically, but mentally because the thought that he puts into these matches and you, you, this guy just cares so much uh, beyond the fact of what he puts his body through physically, because he just, no one works harder in these spots. This is why I don't begrudge Kenny Omega for being rainbow tights Omega in the tag matches and fucking dogging it. Because if you're going to try this hard in your singles matches, and you're going to put in this kind of effort to be the best wrestler in the fucking world, every time when you know, I love effort, Rich, that's my number one thing. I just love effort. Then I don't mind if you want to goof around with the young bucks when you're on the fifth match on the card in Corrigan against, you know, some goofy, you know, six. I've always match. said it. Fine with me. It doesn't, doesn't bother me one bit. It just Save doesn't. It for yeah. Time, yeah. Save it for here. And, and, and you're talking about that. You talk about effort and, and the guys I was watching with too. I mean, they're, they're they know new Japan, but they're a little casual or whatever. The one guy said, I, I the thing I love most about Kenny Omega, this is what he said is that that dude, when he sells, he just go every bump he takes. It's like, God damn, this dude just like kills himself. He makes that other guy in the ring look like a million bucks. Elgin is throwing those clotheslines and Omega and it's not overselling because some people might call it overselling. I don't think so. I think it's very much selling the impact of what those guys do where, where Elgin hits him with a big clothesline and Omega doesn't do, you know, seven black flips or whatever, but he lands on the top of his head. He lands, you know, maybe does one flip. He lands a little bit crooked. Like he just makes it not look like it's just a normal pro wrestling match there's something different about when kenny omega is in the ring and there's something different about the way he the way he bumps the way he takes things that they just look like they're just gonna kill him like every everything that he does is like you kind of look and go oh man is he okay and it's like oh he's fine okay he's, but he just makes it feel and look so much different than anything else he just doesn't take a normal clothesline he he no. does it in a way where he twists his body a little bit maybe it's not the the triple backflip or whatever but he twists his body in a weird way and lands on his shoulder and you know does all like you're saying maybe he won't hold up you know physically and i don't know how he is i'm sure he's not dead already but like it's just incredible what this guy can do in the ring and and um it's selling i thought this in particular because omega made elgin just look like a million bucks anything that elgin hit Omega was acting like that dude was just rocking him and just absolutely killing him. And, and that's, you know, kind of what you need a little bit. And I thought what was awesome about this match too, is, you know, you get the, the, the V trigger, the knees or whatever, and Omega is hitting them like crazy. And Elegant to his credit is playing it up. Like he's the monster in this match. Maybe Elgin's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's a lot stronger than Kenny Omega. And that's what the, the match was. It was Elgin was stronger the entire time. Whenever he wanted to get physical and get his power moves in, Omega w- was on the, you know, the defensive, but then Omega used his speed. And, and that was, you know, maybe it was the seven V trigger knees or whatever, but finally getting him down and knocking him down. So you can finally get everything going. You know what I mean? Like it, it took that to finish off Elgin. So I thought he made Elgin look like a million bucks in this match too, even in a losing effort. And that's again, Omega, anytime he's in the ring with the guy, he never, 
in a way, he overshadows them because he's so good, but that guy never comes out worse for the wear. You know what I mean? That guy that he's facing yeah. always then still looks like a million bucks as well. Like I never, is there any yeah, go is there a more is there a more violent looking strike in wrestling? Oh my than god, no, we we actually paused because we had it on DVR. We were pausing to figure out what the hell he does to make that move look as incredible as it does. Cause I'm like, yeah, I think he slaps his knee. And my guy's like, oh, I think he like hits him on the chest or whatever. And we're we're pausing and, and doing like Zapruder film here to try to figure out because that thing just looks sick. And like I have suspension of disbelief sometimes. You know what what those things hit and I go, oh my God, ow, oh, he killed him. He, and then like, okay, you know, he, he just the sound of them, the look of them, everything is perfect. It's the most violent and nastiest looking strike anywhere in wrestling today. Kenny Omega is just so great at everything. The guy is just a great pro wrestler. And you're talking about his selling. He's he's a tremendous seller. The idea that Kenny Omega doesn't sell oh, you're fucking, you don't watch. is a you're load kidding. of fucking shit. And I don't know what these people are watching. Um, because, look, there's, selling comes in many different forms. He's not a great seller in the same way that Tomohiro Ishii is a great seller. Because with Omega... It's his, it's his wild bumps that you're talking about that make his opponents look so great. It's his facial expressions, which he tones down in the big... I, I know he's goofy in the tags. He tones that stuff down in these big matches, but and, and when he puts over the overall idea towards the end of these matches of how exhausted he is, he does that so well. People can sell, can be elite-level seller and do it in completely different ways. Ricky Morton was great at selling in a completely different way than Ishii or Omega are great at selling. So it, it's like, and you can go down the list, but he he is he's a tremendous... The people who say Kenny Omega, doesn't, I just don't understand that take at all. It's total, total nonsense. Yeah, it's time. You, you say it all the time. It's time to stop listening to those people because they're just wrong. <laughs> you know what it's, I mean? It's, like, just, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's just the kind of thing where you just don't like the guy. Yeah, just say know, I don't like Kenny Omega. Don't don't bring up, don't try to make it nuanced. Just say I don't like the guy. I don't like what he does. I don't like his in style. That's fine. But yeah, to say that he doesn't sell, is it, you're out of your mind. I mean, it, yeah, it's nonsense because it, it's just then you have a rigid idea of what selling is in, in that case then. Um, and, and there really shouldn't be because everybody sells differently and, and you just maybe have a different, maybe you have a 1970s idea where you just have to, you know, I, I don't know, but it, it's just not fair because the guy is a tremendous seller. Uh, and then we had Okada versus Cody. I guess we should spend a lot of time on this um, or give it at least a, a same amount of time we gave some of these other matches because this was obviously the main event of the of the night one and we haven't spoken about it at all. Um, I thought this was easily and i know you agree because you you tweeted it that this was easily the best cody match ever yep i don't think that's even in dispute it's not even close i mean i couldn't even tell you i mean someone's gonna go with some some shitty usos stardust gold no this is it um and i thought that cody was tremendous here and not necessarily from a technical standpoint i thought he was okay he was he was cody from that standpoint from a bell to bell execution of moves there were some instances down the stretch where things got a little sloppy um but from the standpoint of character over working like a heel turning the crowd on him mannerisms facial expressions and scaring the shit out of 2500 people and making them believe that he was going to walk away with the title cody was excellent here and i have to give credit where credit is due and uh, he had, you know, Okada was the better worker in the match. I, I don't think that's in dispute. But Cody more than held up his end with the other facets of what makes a great match. And uh, and I think he knew that this was the biggest match of his life. I think he came there to be hated. And he accomplished that in front of a crowd of Bullet Club fans. You nailed half, but you, you whiffed on the other half. You could take the W, but you got to take the L too. You thought they might cheer for him because you thought there would be a ton of Bullet Club fans there. 
I didn't think there'd be a ton of Bullet Club fans there, and I thought that he wouldn't get cheered. Well, there were a ton of Bullet Club. You were right about that. I mean, that place was – every shirt was a Bullet Club T-shirt. But where they cheered all the other Bullet Club people, your Marty Skrulls and your Kenny Omegas and your Bucks, Rich, these people hated Cody they Rhodes. They did. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. I'm, I'm happy to take the loss in that because it made this match much, much better. Yeah, and they did not want him to win this match. He was an invader. He was the invader coming yep. into their New Japan, and they didn't like it. And I'm, I was glad. No, That's what was. I wanted. That's exactly the dynamic that I wanted. This was an old-school world title match where the heel – uh, you know, loses to the baby, the local babyface hero, and then leaves the territory. Uh, the only difference here is this guy's not leaving the territory, unfortunately. Uh, but that—that's what this felt like. This felt like the heel who the 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 territory had heated up for the last X amount of months was finally getting his big title shot, and he gets vanquished by the valiant babyface in front of a rabid crowd of of, of people who wanted to see him lose. And then he moves on and go works for Watts. You know what I mean? Like that's what this <laughs> felt like. You know, he 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 goes and he he heads off to the Crockett territory next. Like that's what this felt like. And uh, you know, you know, Cody obviously is an admirer of that era, and I think he brought a lot of that to this match uh, in the way that he worked it and and those sorts of things. So uh, look, I, I thought he was he was good enough in the ring, and I thought he was excellent at everything else. I love the way he was selling the shoulder. He never stopped paying attention to it. Um, there was some stalling early in the match that I wasn't a big fan of, but you know they 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 didn't go nearly as long as I thought they would because the match started with about forty five minutes left, but I don't even think they went thirty minutes. No, so, they had a lot of stuff afterwards, and and I think as far as the stalling, and there was a lot of it, but I thought even in that, Cody was able to, to do a really good job of any moment there was a stall tactic, he would kind of you know walk by and kick Okada in the head or whatever, or look at the crowd or get distracted or kind of yap at people and really try to do again like a kind of an old school heel thing where it's like you, you know you got that minute where the guy's selling on the ground, what do you do instead of you know putting him in a chin lock, which he he didn't necessarily resort to as much, he would you know stand up and, and yap with the crowd or, or pick somebody out in the crowd and start arguing with them or whatever like. And that helped build it up a little bit more where people are like, all right, let's, you know, focus on the match, you know, get going here, you asshole. Like it was, it was just, I thought a perfect dynamic of doing that versus like, cause sometimes you can fall into the, the, the modern WWE trope now is during those periods, you lock in a headlock and just kind of look at, at, at the, at the sky or, you know what I mean? Like they don't yeah. want the guys that go and yap with the people in the front row or, or tell them to fuck themselves. You know, that that's old school wrestler. That's old school heel where like you use those moments of, of, of time and those those moments of stalling, you know, quote unquote stalling, and you use those to interact with the crowd and get them to hate you and really drag them into the match. Whereas WWE style is okay, lock the headlock in, put the arm wrench in, or you know, that's what they want you to do. Get ready for the commercial break. This was Cody in a way stalling, but in a way using that bit of stall to 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 build himself up and build the heel heat up, which I thought was masterful. Again, like I, I credit what the credits do. You know, even though I was I was accused of being a Cody Rhodes fanboy after this match, which I, it was the most hilarious thing. Like you said, people that don't listen and don't follow, like me being accused of being a Cody Rhodes fanboy was was pretty. Uh, or people who are bridge trolls. Let's be honest. Right, that's true. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's a little bridge troll. But but the but the fact of the matter is here. Look, this is another Okada title defense this year, and another completely different match from every other match he's had. All of Okada's matches have been different. Like them or hate them, and most people like them. You know, you had the the epic just go balls to the wall match at Wrestle Kingdom. You had the leg match against uh, Minoru Suzuki. Uh, you had what started off as the fun exhibition, but then turned deadly serious versus Tiger Mask W. You had the uh, the sixty minute draw against Omega. Now you have this old school territory style title match against Cody Rhodes. 
Okada's not just having a great year, but he's having a different match every time he gets into the ring, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, another addition to his, to his masterful year. Um, and, and really a match that I enjoyed a lot. I, I had a feeling this would be the best match Cody ever had. And it was, but I think I like this more than that, than I, than I ever imagined that I would. I, I really got into this match. I liked it a lot. I remember with you too, and I think one of the important parts is, and we talked about it in our preview for this, is that w- the one thing Cody has always lacked is that big closing stretch, is that that certain punch to the last few minutes of the right. match, and he had it here. He hit that Rainmaker, and my heart stopped, your heart stopped, and everybody in that arena's heart stopped, and he kicked out Okada, the, the 2.99, we talked about, he's still good at that, and you know Cody sold it perfect, and, and that's things like that a lot of times don't happen in these Cody matches. The ones where he wins, he just kind of casually just wins. You know, it's it's like you kind of hit a crescendo in the match and then he just kind of hits his finisher and wins or whatever. And it's like, oh, all right, that's, that's what's been the problem with a lot of his Ring of Honor matches, a lot of his indie matches here. That was different. He came in possessed with this match and that, that Rainmaker spot and those last few kickouts that they had, I mean, that just a little bit of that was so important in making this the best Cody match ever. I mean, the far and away the best Cody match ever. So yeah, I thought it was, it was incredible here. And, and, um, was really cool too is you know you had Cody then when when Omega comes down to the ring which I guess we should talk about here a little bit as well uh you, you know we do the the throw in the towel spot where, where Brandy's, you know, being pressured by Omega to throw in the towel or whatever or, or Omega's pressuring Brandy to throw in the towel or whatever and then Cody who was laser focused the entire match completely loses his focus and tries to do the one winged angel to 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 Okada to finish him off right. while he's looking at Omega and that's all that Okada needed that one little moment where Cody had it Cody was smart the entire match but then at the last little bit, Omega comes out there and he wants to prove to Omega that he's better. You know, he doesn't necessarily care about winning the match anymore, but now he's, he's looking at that guy and going, no, I'm the leader of the bull club. I'm the guy or whatever. And then fucks around and tries it for the one wing angel and, and fucks it up. And then Okada hits him with it. Just like that little story, that little extra wrinkle right there was enough to make this so much better and so much more nuanced than any other Cody match ever. I mean, you're not going to get that level of nuance in any other Cody match right there. That just that little bit right there. Great stuff, building off of the Omega Okada draw, and then uh, also, you know, you mentioned Cody hitting that Rainmaker on Okada. You know, that was moments after Okada used the crossroads on Cody. Yeah, right. So it was kind of a, they were trying to stick it to each other with each of their uh, finishers. Um, so a lot of interesting little uh, uh, subplots there in the match. I enjoyed it. I really thought it was a. I, I'd go as far as to say uh, maybe not a great match, but a very very good match, bordering on being a great match. So got to be pleased with it. Night two, um, let's jump on. Of course, yeah, the, 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 actually, no, let's just jump to night two. And because that's actually where the, uh, let's go right to the main event, the Omega Ishii match, because that kind of, um, it was a continuation of the story they told after the Okada match, where after Omega won the match, the, you know, Cody Rhodes snatched the belt from him and they sort of had another interaction there. And I don't know if you watched the post-match presser, but Omega was saying, look, we're brothers. Sometimes brothers fight, you know, things along those lines. But they're clearly building to Omega and Cody, uh, where Omega will be the babyface. And, you know, maybe we worked ourselves into a shoot with thinking they're going to do Omega Abushi at the Dome. I'm kind of thinking it's Omega Cody at the Dome, which is kind of disappointing. It's kind of a waste of Omega. Um, you know, it, it, it's obviously it'll be a long-term story that they're telling, so you can't kill them from that standpoint if this is the route that they go. And it'll be a challenge to see if Omega can get a great match out of Cody in the same way that it was a challenge to see if Okada can get a great match out of Cody. Uh, but what do you think? Do you think that's a dome direction or maybe something later this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I I don't know if it's a dome. I feel like maybe you can't stretch it that long. But again, if this is like a big bullet club, you know, I, I guess... 
after night one, I would have said, no, this is something that's going to happen pretty soon. But after night two, when they sort of patched it up a little bit, where it was a little bit more of the, yeah, well, brothers will fight thing, then I'm like, ah, maybe they are going to stretch it a little bit longer. I thought after night one, okay, this is the next thing for these guys is going to be this program. Then after night two, when, when, when Cody snatches the belt away, I go, okay, here we go. They're going to build up for maybe the G1 final. or I, I don't know, something like that, or something you know, pretty soon after that. Uh, but then when they don't do that, and they're kind of then they embrace and they hug a little bit and they talk about it. Then it's like, ah, maybe they are going to stretch a little bit. Dome seems too far away, but we talk about this a lot of time. I mean, you get the G1, you got a little bit of gap in between there. Then you got the World Tag League, and then we're already at Wrestle Kingdom. So it, it, it seems like a long time away, but really there's not a ton of time there for, for different stories to be kind of built. So I don't know. If, if you're seeing a lot of it, it, it might be a Dome thing. And, and yeah, that, that, you can't help but be disappointed by that a little bit. King of Pro Wrestling in there. And, um, well, no, yeah, King of Pro Wrestling is... Um, Oh no, that's right. Yeah, you got that. What in October? Yeah, so maybe King of Pro Wrestling. That's one. Um, you got destruction. The destruction. Yeah, you got the two destruction shows. King of Pro Wrestling, and then oh, and, and Power Show. So I guess you got a few that you could really do it at. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I would not. I would do it in one of those, and not necessarily wait for Kingdom because I think there's way bigger things you could do with Kenny Omega for the Kingdom. But I, to them, maybe this is a huge story: the, the breakup of the Bullet Club, and maybe the formation of the Elite as their own, you know, unit or whatever. That, that you know, there's something to be said for that being a big deal. Now, the Omega Ishii match, again, I gave it five stars. I thought it was just a great, great match. I thought both guys were incredible. We've already fawned over Omega and Ishii individually. There's no need to do that again. A couple key spots here. Obviously, the dragon suplex through the table was just disgusting. I mean, you know, he threatens to do the German suplex. Ishii, uh, copying the spot he did against Naito, where he used the teeth as the rope break, tried to uh, use his teeth to prevent being put through the table. It so worked. he's the best. What, what, he's just the fucking best. He, it worked. And uh, then he, uh, obviously, uh, Omega switched it up to a dragon suplex and uh, put him through the table, which did not break. Um, just an incredible, incredible looking spot. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a noteworthy spot in the match. And then, um, you know, obviously, uh, they've had two other matches this year. I thought this was the best of the three, even though the other two I thought were great as well. Uh, just, you know, this company just pumps out great match after great match. I mean, these, these three Omega Ishii matches, I mean, you know, you could realistically have them in your top 10 for the year and I wouldn't bat an eye. I mean, that's how good that their series has been, even though Omega Okada gets all the attention. Um, so, and I thought this was a good dynamic because Ishii is so charismatic, has such good underdog charisma that it kind of made for a great dynamic in this match because people don't want to root against Ishii. No, I said, like, there was all those people who were talking about those Kenny Omega shirts and their Bullet Club shirts or whatever, and when that man bit the ropes, every single person in that arena was rooting for Ishii and did not want him to go through that table. Maybe they don't want him right. to win, but they just don't want the guy to die. You know what I mean? It's like the, I just hope he pulls through. I just don't want this guy to die type thing, and, and nobody can do that. That's so hard to do, especially against a guy like Kenny Omega, who's his charisma magnet, and you have that entire arena going... I know I love Kenny Omega, but goddamn, how do I not root for Ishii? That's that's twenty five hundred Omega fans, and people are still pulling for Ishii. It's, you know? it's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> the guy is just an incredible pro wrestler, and is who is great at um at 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 just uh, getting to people's emotions. I mean, he just has that underdog charisma, you know. And and uh, to me, this was uh, this was a perfect wrestling match. I have no grapes about it. That's why I went five stars. 
Yeah, I went to four and a half, so a little bit less than you, but because there was a match a little bit earlier that I'm going to talk about that I liked a little bit more. But, I mean, I, for me, five and a half still pretty – I mean, I fucking love this match. It was it was fantastic. And uh, I thought the the pace at the – it's kind of a slower pace at the beginning, but I thought that was a good idea because then it sort of sold that they were in for the long game here. These guys know, hey, there's no time limit here. We don't have to go nuts. But as it started to progress on, then it was like, all right, now we got to go nuts. And Omega kind of turned it on too and said, all right, enough of this guy. I need to put him away. And then that's when he just started you know, busting out the V-triggers, busting out the one wing angels uh the reverse run you know all that sort of stuff that you asked for in, in a match that awesome closing stretch and yeah i just thought just incredible stuff and ishii that you just can't help but root for the guy one way or another i mean it was it was pretty cool but i thought it was it, i, I like that the pace was a little bit different because the past matches we've seen with these two has been a frenetic pace these guys have just wanted to kill each other and get in and out of there as soon as possible this was different this was like all right like we can i can kind of chill a little bit omega you know saying hey you know i don't have to go nuts here and then realizing okay the only way i can put this guy away is if i go absolutely nuts so here i go so and then Tanahashi, Billy Gunn, the total opposite end of the spectrum. This was a piece of shit. Um, there's no other way to describe this match. I think it was worse than any of us could have imagined. Even if you thought it was going to be bad, I think it was worse than that. Um, I thought Billy Gunn did not come to this show to work. I thought he was lazy. I thought, uh, you know, he barely took any <laughs> I like how people were surprised by that. Like, Billy Gunn hasn't been fucking lazy since 1995. Like, I don't hey, look, know what newsflash this was to people. Here's the thing. It's like... I, I didn't think the match – I thought there was an outside shot. It could be good. Um, I wasn't – my expectations were low, but this this was below any low expectation. I, I mean, I just thought Gunn was lazy. I, I said I would fire Jim Ross. I would fire Billy Gunn. I would never oh, use the, him again. What, the test of strength spot didn't work for you? I would never use him again. I mean, I thought he was that poor and that lazy. It's one thing to be poor in the ring. It's another – look, I just talked about it. Effort's my thing, and I really don't feel like he tried here. And I heard a lot of people saying, well, you know, Tanahashi's hurt. Maybe he wanted to take it easy. You know, that might be true. Tanahashi was hurt last month at Dominion, too. <laughs> you know, that's my, yeah, that's right. the other point I was going to make. Tanahashi's hurt all the time, or <laughs> supposedly hurt, and he goes in there in these matches and just fucking kills it, and he tries hard. So he has a track record with me with working very hard regardless of his physical state, whereas Billy Gunn does not. So I'm putting the blame on Billy Gunn here. Uh, Billy Gunn, and it was just a poor match. I mean, this was like a one-star match at best. Um, you know, the, 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 it's just, I, I, don't, I don't even know what else to say. I, it's the kind of performance where if I'm a booker or I'm a promoter, I never allow this man and, to work And Billy Gunn had sucked since, you know, basically 1994. So I'm not surprised by this. I mean, he worked this like a, a 1999 WF pay-per-view and, yeah, test of strength. Uh, and I could tell, I could tell by night one too, because he took that sling blade and it was like, dude, you don't even, you're not even trying to bump out here. You, you took it as the safest bump I've ever seen. I was like, oh, fuck this. This is going to be terrible. And to be fair, he's a 53 year old who hasn't been good in, you know, 25 years. So I, again, like, I don't know what. 25, 25 years. Yeah. When been. was the last good Billy Gunn year? I'm going 1994 smoking guns era. If you have another year in between there, if 1996 Billy Gunn really not rocked your socks, <laughs> then. Uh, you weren't into rockabilly, no. No, rockabilly fucking sucked. Um, yeah, I would have to you say that the matches were not good. Like the, the promos were fine, and it, the matches fucking sucked. Let's be honest, they were not good. Peak peak Billy Gunn was probably smoking guns, yes. Right. So, uh, so, so and, and like peak smoking guns was like ninety three, ninety four, right? I wasn't a fan of Mister Ass or any of no, that. No, well, nobody so. was. The one Billy Gunn, all that fucking. So we're talking twenty four, twenty five years ago since he was good. And he's 53 now. I, I, again, I don't know what the fuck people were expecting, and there was all the funny... Okay, I see the spider. I'll be right back. I'm going to get him here. This is, great. This is awesome. He's going to smash his spider. Oh, no. Oh, God. He fell. All right. Well, that's fucked. Well, that was... Nah, he's on the carpet now. I don't know where he went. That was a... Well, did he have a dick <laughs> he at the end of my bookcase. 
I don't. I couldn't tell. He fell too quickly. He was on my light, so I moved the light, and then he fell behind the bookcase. So this this could be fun. But uh, I'll keep an eye out. Wish what I kind of spider remember. is it? Like a black? I don't know. Or he's something? really big. No, I don't know what it is, but he's pretty damn big. So I, I'd like to get rid of him. I, I I'm not. You know, I'm not a, like you would I, know I really... kind of spider in it anyway. Why am I even asking you that? Yeah, like, like oh, you're it's... Gonna the... <laughs> right. It's... Is it big yeah, enough to where it'll crunch when you kill it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it'll have a nice little crunch to it for sure. Like I was kind of worried, like because it was on. A, a, I have like this really nice, like Michael Jordan painting thing, and I didn't want to crush him when he was on there because I thought it would all splash all over the place. So yeah, now I'm now he's on the ground somewhere. I wish I had a cat. These damn dogs aren't going to do anything for me. Okay. Anyway, unless you are there, there's a spider over there. Okay. We had a okay. bat bullet club versus Carry chaos. On. Eight man tag. Oh, what about uh, the so- time when they revealed each other's butts? You didn't like that? Oh yeah, I mean you know. <laughs> what are you gonna? What are you gonna Your do? At least it was huge for that. For uh, oh my god, Tanahashi doesn't have tan lines. Like okay, well, <laughs> that's. Oh, well, he always said he didn't like doing the edited era stuff. Well, the man likes a consistent tan line, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Right. We've heard about uh, how Jim Ross was so stifled by the attitude era. No, 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 no. I, I think that was probably the right thing for old Jarrett at that point. But so you think he was hitting the bottle or what? I don't know. You're just trying to avoid liability here. I get it. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say. I mean, the guy's kind of been a buffoon. I, I haven't liked Jim Ross commentary in like 10 years. Even his late WWE stuff, I hate it. Like, basically from like 2001 on, I, I could take a leave. Rich, I, listen, you're preaching to quiet. I haven't been a fan of Jim Ross since like WCW. I just, I, I never thought the guy was all that great. Yeah, I, 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 as a kid, I enjoyed him, but I go back and watch Attitude Era stuff, and he doesn't really. It's it doesn't work for me very much. So yeah, no, I, I'm 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 the wrong guy to ask because I was never that huge of a fan, to be honest. So I mean, I thought he was okay, but I thought Lawler was so bad. Lawler was the worst announcer of all time. And still is. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't do it anymore. But he's yeah, not he's, quite as bad as he was, but he's still awful. But like during that era, he was the worst announcer of all time, at least for my sensibilities. And there was no one that could have worked with Lawler that could have not been dragged down by Lawler's awfulness. I used to really root as, as a kid when like Kevin Kelly or Jim Cornette would do like the first hour of raw or whatever. <laughs> like I'd be like, yes, Cornette's in like, you know, that's how bad, like I didn't even like him as a kid, like growing up. I liked, you know, or I would watch like shotgun Saturday night. Be like, hell yeah, Kevin Kelly, let's go. Like, so I was, you know, yeah. when Lawler got fired and Heyman replaced him there for a while, that was great. Heyman and Ross, I thought were great. Yeah. They had a great dynamic. And then, yeah, then Lawler came back and then we'll see Lawler was okay before that. Then when he came back after that, he was absolutely the dirt worse. Cause then he didn't even, he wasn't even the bad guy anymore. He didn't even try to do all that stuff. Then he was just a horny asshole the entire time. You know, before he would be able to do it a little bit. Puppies era Lawler was just just nothing worse than that. Just screaming and yelling puppy. It's just, there was, it's just awful. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to watch. You know, it's kind of thing, the old wrestling thing where someone walks in the room and you're embarrassed. Like that was Jerry Lawler. Uh, Bullet Club and uh, Chaos. This was a basic eight-man tag before the Tanahashi gun match. Folly, Cody, Skrull, and Yujiro defeating uh, the Briscoes, Okada, and Will Ospreay. So I have no memories of this, so it must have just been a match. Did nothing for me. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I watched this earlier today. I don't really remember much. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of comedy, if I remember correctly. Osprey, I know he had a... There was a, a lot of comedy, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so there was a lot of that. There was Scroll did his you know, finger break thing. I know Osprey hit a, a Sasuke special, and that was pretty cool. But yeah, for the most part, yeah. uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Except for, I think, the, the big part was that Cody Rhodes got the pinfall. So, you know, right. if Cody can't lose two nights in a row, that'd be <laughs> ridiculous. No, but absolutely not. The way they built it up, and, and again, like I always mention, when Jim Ross and Barnett are, are hammering something home, it's usually that they they got something that's, and it was like the minute he got that pin, they were like, oh, you know, Cody, he led the Bullet Club to this win here, you know, really as the the leader of the Bullet Club, getting a win for you know the rest of the team and the rest of the unit or whatever. So I thought that was a uh, they were hitting that hard home 
home. So I'm sure that they had a big bold underlined thing that said, say who's the leader of the bowl club, Cody wins it for his team, like that sort of stuff. So I think that was, that was an important thing that we, we, we saw on that night. The Bucks and Rapongi Vice wrapped up their feud. The Bucks successfully defended the titles. Rapongi Vice broke up after the match. Oh, Trent Barrett is going heavyweight. Uh, Rocky Romero's probably going to the LA Dojo as a trainer. Um, so the match itself, I thought, was around the same level as the other two matches these teams had. This was probably my least favorite of the three. I still enjoyed it. If they would have hit that ridiculous Meltzer driver. Uh, on the outside where um, Nick ran up the ropes, jumped off the top turnbuckle to deliver, but they missed it. They, they ever so slightly didn't quite reach the target. That would have been the greatest spot in history of wrestling. I mean, that was amazing, but they didn't land it. Um, the camera angle kind of saved a little, but then they showed the replay from the reverse angle. Yeah, that's, I was like, you idiots. Like you had the, cause the first angle was behind, um, I forgot who yeah. was doing what, but yeah, it was behind matter. matter. But yeah, it was behind matter or whatever. So you didn't necessarily see it. And then Ross is like, Oh, I think he just missed him or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. And then they showed the replay. I'm like, Oh, he did. Like, God damn If Matt was standing a foot closer, that would have been one of the yeah, greatest was, spots yeah. in history. I mean, that was amazing. Um, it's just incredible. But, uh, you know, so the bigger story here, Trent's going to heavyweight. So we've been bragging about this guy saying how great he is. What a great year he's having. He certainly has the size to work as a heavyweight. Uh, what kind of prospect now? Look, if they wanted Rocky Romero to run their dojo, which is what we're all assuming is going to happen and those sorts of things, uh, they could have easily just cut bait with Trent. You know, they didn't have to keep him around, but obviously they see some value in this guy. Um, I think now it makes a lot of sense that he just mysteriously started picking up all the pins for this team late last year. Uh, so, you know, they obviously see something in him. Do you see something in Beretta moving forward as a heavyweight? As part of I like Beretta a lot. Unit? Yeah, I like Brett a lot, but I just I, I ha- I'm having a real tough time in my head, sort of fantasy booking where he goes and what he does. And I guess in a, in a, in one way that's kind of fun and that's kind of unique is like okay, cool, let's let's kind of see. But in my mind, it's like I, I don't know how you navigate him. Like where do you where does he go? What tier? We talk about those tiers all the time. What tier does a Trent fit into? I is it a never open weight? Is he in the mix for that? I I right now I just can't visualize it that much. And I don't know what, what you have or if you have any ideas on your end, but I, I'm having a hell of a time. Like I'm glad that he's doing it. And I think he's an awesome worker. And I think he's gonna he's gonna nail whatever they want him to do. And I think he's gonna make it work. But I just I don't know where he goes. I just don't see it. I just don't see his place in the roster right now. And I guess that will we'll see it in the future. But I, I don't know. I'm just having a tough time visualizing where he goes and what tier he kind of fits in. I think the US thing kind of opens up possibilities for all the guys like this these English speakers or these Americans or whatnot. So I have to see where that goes and how that evolves. And if there's a, you know, a, a second line of continuity going on in the company, a second set of storyline, what we don't know, that's kind of stuff is all up in the air. So mm-hmm. maybe they see value in him as an American, as an English speaker, that sort of thing uh, for those purposes. And maybe he'll be pushed harder here than he is in Japan. I don't know. I don't have a good read on it. I'm like you, I don't see where he kind of fits in right now. Um, and we're not going to see for a while because he's not in the G1, obviously. And then we'll come back after the G1 and we'll see what they're doing with him. But I think it's um, it's interesting that they just simply didn't cut bait. They see some value in him. I see. I some mean, value honestly, in one, of, one of the things that I would put him in, which I, again, I don't know how you do this, and I don't think this is what they would do. But I mean, I look at we were talking about that tag division, like getting him in a, t- a heavyweight tag team would be interesting. But then it's like, yeah, it's kind of a, a linear move in a lot of ways. So I don't think that's what they're doing. But you know, that's one thing that maybe if you're waiting for the U.S. title thing to kind of heat up a little bit. Maybe that's what you do a temporarily, but I don't know who the hell he teams with. Like, again, there's a lot of questions and I just don't really quite know where he fits in. 
We'll see. We had the uh, Bullet Club. Okay, here's the thing. So they had this. Uh, this is the match: Hangman Page, Tamatanga, and Tonga Roa. They defeated uh, Elgin and War Machine. This is where Page got the pin on one of the members of War Machine. I forget. Uh, Ray Rowe. He got it on Ray Rowe. And Ray Rowe. So, and that sets up Page challenging for the titles with the mystery partner. Interesting thing here, though, and we kind of talked about that already. How Page does nothing for us, and that match isn't going to do much for us. So let's talk about this. They flew in Chase Owens, and he basically just worked as a corner man two nights in a row. <laughs> um, they didn't stick him in a match where you easily could have squeezed him into a you know tag of some sort, right? But it's interesting that they saw enough value in Chase Owens to bring him to these shows and not even work a match, right? I mean, I thought that was kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool that they brought that guy in and 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 you know brought in some of the CMLL guys and brought in all of their semi regulars from ROH and threw him a bone and had them work the show. You know, it, it's like it, it kind of makes Chase Owens look. We're in your country. We're going to bring you in. You're going to work your corner with Bullet Club because you're part of our team, and we're not going to leave you out. Yeah, you right, know what right. I mean. That's it's kind of how I, I I looked at that. And he had a big role in the um in the tag title match tonight, the, the no DQ match. You know, sliding tables into the ring and 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 helping uh, Gruels of Destiny with their underhanded tactics and whatnot. And then on this night, he was pacing around the outside of the ring with Haku. Uh, you know, who of course uh, was a member of the Bullet Club back from around uh, the Wrestle Kingdom time. So um, interesting that they brought in Chase Owens. I like that sort of thing, taking care of the guys on your roster. So, well, we, we talk about again the authentic New Japan experience. It might be a little thing where you know, again, like Chase Owens isn't the make or break of the authentic experience, but he's a guy that's a roster. He's a guy that's always there. He's part of the team, like you said. So having him come in there, you feel okay. This is a, this is a guy who who would be here. This is a guy who might not work a match during the show, but be the corner man like that. Again, it just worked. It, it worked super well. Jim Ross had no fucking clue who he was and didn't ever mention his name. But hey, that's it. Wasn't on the sheet, I guess. <laughs> nice easy payday too, right? No bumps. No, yeah, I, I day. All I got to do is pick up a table and slide it in the ring. That's not bad. Dragon Lee, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Teton, and Volador Jr., the spry 22-year-old youngster. Uh, they defeated the fully loaded LIJ team. Again, like we mentioned, Jay White. This was a huge pinfall mm-hmm. for him. I did not. This one shocked me. This I was stunned that he Even picked up the pinfall here. Even bigger than the first night because this match was just ripe for – yeah, why did Naito know. win? Yeah, Naito pins Teton or whatever. Teton, oh, there exactly. we go. <laughs> or yeah. Naito so, pins Juice Robinson or whatever. Like, yeah, you lose nothing out of that. Right, but they gave Jay White. So this is just, this was just huge. So for Jay White, it shows that there are plans for this guy. I don't know if he's going back with the crew or if he's going back to ROH for a little while longer. But uh, we talked about it before, and we don't need to beat people over the head with it. But Jay White is obviously going to be a push commodity when he gets back to Japan. Tomohiro Ishii defeats Sack Saber Jr. to go to the finals of the tournament. Um, I wasn't sure how this would work out. I've seen Zack Saber Jr. work with bigger guys before. I saw him have a what I thought was a bad match against Brian Cage at Wrestle Circus a few months ago. I just don't think they vibe right. But then again, Brian Cage just isn't very good. Um, yeah, so you know, Tomohiro Ishii is one of the best in the world. So, uh, but this worked out quite nicely. I thought this was an excellent match. Did you like this one? I like this one a lot. Yeah, and I thought one of the cool things about this is that the first part of the match was Saber again trying to do like he did with Juice Robinson, where it's like, hey, I'm I'm the better wrestler, I'm the better submission guy. I'm just gonna I'm gonna work you over, I'm gonna work these holds or whatever. And again, the Ishii thing is like you 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 can't get the guy will not give up. And Saber got frustrated. Then he started going for the strikes. And once you do that, Ishii, Ishii's got you right where he wants him. Hits him with the lariat. Hits him with the brainbuster. Like that quickly is all it took 
with Zach Sabre just getting off his game plan a little bit for Ishii to pick up the win. And I thought that was a really cool part where you let Zach Sabre look like the guy who's, who's the better in-ring, in-ring wrestler, the better technical wrestler or whatever. He's working Ishii over. He's got him where he wants or whatever, but he just he's not getting he's not getting rid of him as quickly as he wants to. Then he gets pissed off, goes to the strikes, and Ishii goes, oh, you're an idiot. Like, you can't strike with me. And then it hits him with a lariat, hits him with a brain buster, and that's it. So I thought it was kind of cool in that respect. We didn't get a lot of Ishii offense. A lot of it was Sabre doing the offense, but it was a nice little story where, where, where Sabre had the win if he just had the patience, and he didn't have the patience on this night. So again, we talk about those tiers, and we talk about the guys who are just kind of the better overalls or whatever, and this was Zack Sabre just needing to be more patient, just needing to, to, to live with it a little bit, but he couldn't do it. And, and you know, the it, that that was a really cool aspect of the story too, and and Ishii again, everybody was rooting for him to break out of the submissions, break out of these things, and yeah, he gets the lariat and the brainbuster, and that's all he needed was just those final few moves and those final few minutes uh, to put away Saber. So yeah, I, I loved it. Omega Lethal, you've been waiting. The floor is oh yours. Oh my god, yeah, that's my favorite match of the entire weekend, man. It, I'm I, su- I'm surprised by that. I thought it was a good match, but geez, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think the thing was. You, you talk about sub-15 minute matches. I think that's a really important thing as well, where you talk about just a perfect match from bell to bell. I thought this was it, which was incredible. Like, it, it's so rare, and I never thought I would say this about a Jay Lethal match ever in my life. But, you know, it starts off o- Omega and it wants to give a handshake to Jay Lethal, kicks him right in the ribs just to be an asshole, just to build off a storyline or whatever. And, and again, like, I was talking about the night prior, how I was kind of annoyed by the storyline. This is one where I was like, boom, I don't care that you did the storyline here because it played so much and so well into this match. It made this match exciting in their respect where it starts off right there. You know, that, that Lethal's ribs are hurt. And and you compare Hangman Page and how he was working over the ribs and how Omega worked over the ribs, night and day. And I put in my review, this was like Omega, and, and, and you know this from years of playing video games, especially old school video games, you'd face a boss at the end of the level. And the boss would have one thing that... that hurt on them. You know what I mean? Like you got the back of their head and, and every time you hit them, they turn red or whatever. That was the one body part that you could focus on. Omega didn't worry about anything else on, on Lethal's body. He just went for the ribs, went for the ribs, went for the ribs, went for the ribs. Every punch, every move, every focus was on the ribs, on the ribs, on the ribs. Another cool thing too, you know, so you have Lethal knowing, ah, oh, fuck, my ribs are done. This guy's got me. He knows what to do against me. I'm screwed. Lethal from the beginning goes, okay, I'm going to get the spider. One moment. Got him. Okay. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, here in the bathroom. This is, this is professional radio. We are such we're such horrible radio people. I went to go kill the spider, and I thought, yeah, and then you're in the bathroom. So, how'd you know I was in the bathroom? I thought I was. I cool. heard. I heard the, 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 oh, you heard me taking a leak? <laughs> no, I, maybe. I heard the. I heard your your ball cock or whatever. So. No, I didn't flush the toilet. That's. I thought I was being sneaky. Oh, I don't know. Then I don't know. I heard some noise. Maybe you opened the door or something. It was I was the like, door. That the damn door is so people out. Yeah, we are the worst radio people ever. Like, I'm killing a spider. You're peeing. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk forever about this. Well, then the spider came, and I wanted to kill him. I got him. He's dead. But, Dude, um... you know how hard it is to have to pee while we're doing this show? I know. It's pretty terrible. Yeah, I, I deal with it every night. Okay. I, see, I, I wanted to save you the editing job. You know what I mean? So I was like, <laughs> I'll sneak off when he's talking about the show, the match. You were right. Never know. I was on a rant. I was ready to go, but then the spider came, and I had to get him, so. So now how much dead silence did we give the audience? <laughs> I don't th- I was pretty quick to get it. Uh, but then I was like, all right, what were you where you know, where was I, Joe? And then there was nothing from you. And then I was like, oh boy, he's he's big. Oh okay. man, I, I thought I thought I pulled it off. All right. No, professional. You know, video people. Eat, do you know I have eaten full meals while recording this show before? That's pretty ambitious. Yeah, I've never done that. Like while you're talking, I'll just get, you know, you know, and by the time the three hours is up, I'll have eaten the full meal. You yeah, know get one of your blue apron, get that uh, what the chili steak, the chili butter steak, parmesan potatoes and spinach. I think that's what you're eating. This week, anyway. Okay, 
<laughs> Moving on here. Uh, so again, I was talking about Omega was you know focusing on the ribs, and that was like he's the boss battle at the end of the video game, and he's going. And then Lethal understanding that hey, I'm fucked. These ribs are done. I you know I can't. I'm not in this match for the long haul. So he goes right for the lethal injection, like right off the bat. Like I got to hit this thing. So it's the only chance I have of winning it. And he hits it on Omega, and Omega takes it perfectly. And the crowd is like, oh fuck, like Lethal's gonna win this just because he like a madman was just going for lethal injections like crazy, knowing that that was the only thing that he could do. Omega again as smart as he is, rolls out of the ring. Doesn't kick out at two, doesn't kill the guy's finish, but is smart enough to roll out of the ring. And then it's like, Lethal's just like, God damn it, I'm fucked now. And then he was. And then Omega gets in. Um, it's in the one-leaf angel. And again, like the part about this that I love too, and, and I talk about this all the time, and I talked about it with with with, with Omega and, and Ishii and Omega versus Elgin or whatever, is that Omega allows Lethal, when he's got him up in the one-wing angel, Lethal squirms a little bit out of it, like he's almost going to reverse it, and then Omega then locks it in again and then hits it, the one-wing angel, and then for the one, two, three. I thought that just just that little bit made Lethal look like, yeah, Lethal Lethal wasn't getting dominated in this match. Lethal just lost. You know what I mean? And, and, and when it was all said and done, Lethal, in the end, looked like a million bucks. Lethal looked like a guy who, again, he lost on this night because his ribs were fucked, but he gave it his all, and he almost got out of that one-wing angel, but it was just too much. And he got killed for the one, two, three. And that was it. It was just that little bit of squirm made him not look totally outclassed. And I was like, that's a thing that Omega, the, the thinking wrestler, when he leaves that match, he wants both guys to be better off for it. I've seen him have similar, I've seen him have similar matches to this story with Juice Robinson and Jay White. And, um, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. he, he, he makes guys look so good. And just like you're saying, this was the best Jay Lethal match probably since he beat Jay Briscoe for the Ring of Honor title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought that was an excellent match. Um, you know, unless you were really big into that strap match he had with Cody, which just wasn't my style of match, but I know a lot nah, of people I, liked it. It didn't do much for me. Um, but yeah, to me, it was his best match since that title change with Jay Briscoe. I didn't like it as much as you did, but I did think it was a very good match. I thought it was the the third best Omega match of the weekend, but I think it was still well over four stars, which is saying something about the weekend Omega had. But yeah, um, you know, as good a match you're going to get for 12 minutes in this sort of you know, scenario. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that this was your favorite match of the whole weekend. Yeah. I just thought everything, everything from bell to bell was just like, boom, everything just in that 15 minutes, it was a sub 15 minute match or whatever. And everything just like it, it, everything was meaningful. And like I said, it's just, it's so, it's so hard to see a match where there's, there's just no filler. There was no filler on this entire match. It was everything mattered. Every move mattered. Every movement mattered. Every every little thing. It was always, and it was all geared to this one story, this one coherent thing. And that's like, it's just so rare. When it was all said and done, I was like, that that is almost pro wrestling perfection right there. Hmm. You it was, really yeah, love yeah, this. I really did. No, I, I'm telling you. It's like there's, there was enough elements there that just worked for all me. Right. I don't know. You, you might have been pissing when I was getting over, going over my Omega thing, but uh, he was working lethal like it was a video game boss or whatever. And that's yeah. another thing that kind of connects with me. And I know it connects with Omega too, because that's what he was doing. You know, sometimes when guys work over body parts, it's like, you know, I do this. I rent your knee a little bit. This was a guy who just every bit of his energy was to the ribs. Like, that's that's all he wanted to do and all his focus was. I just I just thought everything everything mattered. Well, there you minutes. go. Your your taped ribs you complained about came into play here. I, just, I said that. You were pissing. You were in the pisser, but I said that. I admitted <laughs> I was wrong. So. You didn't say anything. I thought you were gonna go. Oh, now you're. Yeah, I was. I was waiting for you to react. You, you just thought I was anything, being so. polite. I thought so. I was like, okay, what a, what well, a train wreck of a segment this was. Huh? <laughs> it's like I was. I showed a, a bit of you know humility, and you didn't say anything. And I was like, all right, well, fuck it then. Like I'll just move yeah. on. Like, well, we had Liger, David Finley, and Kushida defeating the Tempura Boys and Yoshitatsu. This was the opener. Of the story here, though, was Yoshitatsu took the pin oh, for the second night in a row, Yoshi. and not Show or Yo. 
So once again, um, Sho and Yo are boys no more, or they are Tempura boys. They're ter- ter- teriyaki, actually. Teriyaki boys. They're, they're not young boys no more, and Yoshitatsu <laughs> once again took the pin. I think really, Rich, that's the only takeaway from that match, so uh, not much else to say There's about that else. one. Yeah, people liked Kushida, um, and that's it, yeah. I will say this. I thought Komatsu was the slightly better worker before these guys left for excursion, but by the slimmest of margins, I mean by a negligible amount. Uh, now that they've sort of gone through their uh, their excursion a bit, CMLL, Ring of Honor, I think, and, I, and you know, we talked about how Sho always had the better look. I think he has a much better look. Sho Tanaka looks like a star. He I don't does, think- yeah. No, and I, I was the opposite as well. I, I thought Yohei was going to be the star. And Yohei, I thought, was the better worker. And Sho just kind of looked like a guy along for the ride or whatever. Not anymore. Sho looks like the man now. Well, here's the thing. I always thought Sho had the better look. I always thought Komatsu was like a, the better worker by a hair. But Tanaka, to me, looks like a, a star. Komatsu does not look like a star. So I think that's the difference between the two of them. I don't know if either one of them will be stars. I know they're going to be great wrestlers. I, I don't know if they're going to be a tag team when they come back. I wouldn't do that, honestly. Um, uh, it looks like they'll be juniors. At least, you know, they're five seven. I think that one of them might even be five six. I think they're smaller than you think. Um, so I think they're going to be juniors. Uh, you know, they need an infusion of Japanese juniors in this company. There's no question. They have a great junior division, but a lot of them are outsiders. Uh, Kushida, you know, who do you have? You know, you got Kushida, you got Liger, who's on the way out, uh, Bushi, um, you know, and Bushi and Kushida came from outside the system. You know, you got to remember that too. So the only guys from inside the system are Hiromu, Liger, who's just about wrapping it up. Um, Who else am I forgetting as far as natives that came from in the system among the juniors? I mean, there's really no, yeah, there's no I mean, one to I'm, point. I'm kind of racking my brain. The fact that uh, n- nobody came to the top of my head immediately. I mean, yeah, you got Hiromu. Uh, uh, Desperado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kanemaru is outside the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taichi, I guess, is from inside the system. If our third name is Taichi, that's, yeah, that speaks to your point for sure. Yeah, right. Because then you've got your, you know, your Willow Sprays, your Ricochets, your Marty Skrulls, your, uh, you know, um, you know, when they bring in the CML, like Dragon Lee, when they bring him around. Right. Recently, you had like Kyle O'Reilly's in there. You got Kyle your Bushi's, like they're your yeah. top tier dudes. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like, you know, Sho and Yo will be two homegrown Japanese juniors, which is something they're surely, they're, 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 they're lacking for sure. Um, especially uh, guys who are, who, who have some youth and uh, some future in front of them, guys under 30. So those are the two G1 shows, knocked it out of the park, uh, huge successes, great matches, uh, two very good shows, uh, arguably great shows, actually. Uh, so uh, any other wrap-up thoughts? I think we spent way more time on these than we thought we were going yeah, to. Yeah, no, way more than anticipated. But, uh, but they were well third. I mean, awesome shows, definitely must-watches if you're any sort of pro wrestling fan. I think it, it's worth it to yourself to watch them, whether you're a New Japan fan, whether you're just kind of a casual fan. I think you'll, you'll find something you'll like out of these shows, particularly night two. I think you're going to find uh, a lot, especially if you, if you just want to watch the last few matches, you know, watch the main event of night two, maybe watch, you know, the, the last few matches of, of night one. I think you're going to find something in either one of these nights that you watch. Nice, easy watches um, as well. So definitely would recommend that. Uh, before we get to other stuff, Joe, I do want to let you know, this episode is also sponsored by our good friends at ZipRecruiter. And you know, Joe, whether it's WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling, or the Indies, that the key to success is a strong roster. And great promoters know that having the right wrestlers comes from scouting in all the right places. Well, finding great talent for your business, Joe, it's not any different. You can find the best candidates at ZipRecruiter. 
You know, sometimes you can't find the best candidates. You, you post your job to one site. It's not going to work all that well. You need to post your jobs on all the top sites. And you can do that with ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. Over 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No more juggling emails or calls to your office. You can screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. And today, our listeners can start forming their own winning roster on ZipRecruiter for free just go to ziprecruiter.com slash vow that's ziprecruiter.com slash vow start building your winning roster today is that the actual read Did they i kind of i kind of freestyle that a little bit nice. they said build a roster or they say build your own winning team because i think it was like they sent us the one for sports because i think they have like wow. They have like this, like, you know, build your own winning business for like the business and entertainment ones or whatever. And they gave us a sports one. And I was like, ah, roster. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to throw Indies. I'll throw New Japan in there. Like, it'll, it'll segue good. So, you know, I, they'll, they'll probably get very mad that I, no, I don't think they care. But um, yeah, they, pick, they give roster. And, you know, hey, wrestling companies have roster too. So, we're pretty good. Um, all right. We don't have a ton of time. Great here, balls so of let's, fire. Yeah, let's get to great balls of fire. I'll let you kind of uh, take How the lead on this. We have? Uh, yeah, uh, about a half an hour or so. Okay, do you want to push Slammiversary to next week? Yeah, let me let me watch it, because I really do want to watch the show and give it the time it deserves. So yeah, let's let's push Slammiversary until I can watch it. Okay, so guys, we're going to push Slammiversary to next week. This way, Rich can watch more of it, too. I think that's probably a good idea. Plus, we're I've seen a clip time. of the main event and a clip of D'Angelo Williams. That's not enough for it. Otherwise, I thought you it, watched a few matches, at least. Uh, you know no, what? I haven't had time to do that, so it'd be me doing the Brian Alvarez thing. So let's, let's not do that. I don't want to. Let's do push it to next week. Next week, we won't have a ton to talk about anyway. Just great balls of fire. Um, there's no New Japan really going on right so um all right we'll do slam anniversary next week i think it deserves the time so yeah. um mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into it next week so let's do great balls of fire and then wrap this baby up so that's coming up this sunday and i think both of us to me i look at this card and i w- i'm super excited but i'm really only super excited for one match and that is brock lesnar samoa joe i think it's uh right now it's my most anticipated match in wrestling. I got to be honest. I mean, I am so hyped up for this. Thanks to the work of Samoa Joe and building up this match. Thanks to, you know, Brock Lesnar's done a great job when he's dropped in the last couple weeks on Raw. I just binge watched about six weeks of Raw in one day, uh, you know, because I haven't been able to watch it all. Um, and I've been just so impressed with Samoa Joe, his promos, his, his, uh, the, the way he comes across, um, uh, in this feud, and I think if this was the old school pay per view era, this pay per view would do a tremendous buy rate. Yeah, it pop a big number. I mean, it's got a big yeah. fight feel, unlike any match that WWE, WWE is not very good at booking, uh, at booking those sort of things. Those big matches where it's like, oh man, like I got, I got to see this. I got to watch this. Uh, you, you know, I, I, it's a match that I'm really anticipating. It's, it's, uh, it feels like a fight. It feels like a boxing match, a fight, whatever. Yeah, UFC fight, whatever you want to say. It doesn't feel like a wrestling main event. It feels like a legit fight, and the build's been incredible. And if people haven't watched, I mean, on YouTube. They have a lot of them. They have, I know, one video that's like five minutes long that, that recaps the entire feud, but it's been simple. It's Samoa Joe going out there and going, hey, you know, <laughs> let's do this thing. I'm stronger than you. I'm not afraid of you. And Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman kind of doing the, uh, hey, you know, you're, you're, you should be afraid of us. And Samoa Joe's like, I'm afraid of you. <laughs> like, let's go. Let's do it right now. And that's, that's been the build right there. And Samoa Joe at every turn has, has been the aggressor. And, and he even said that in the promo. They had like kind of a side-by-side video promo. And he said, why are we doing this? What are we doing talking to each other? Let's fucking, let's fight. Let's, let's like fight like men or whatever. And Brock and Lesnar are just like, uh, you know, Brock or Heyman are kind of laughing like, oh, you don't want that. And Joe's like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Let's go. Like, let's do this. It's cool. It's, it's so simple. It's just Samoa Joe wants to fight and Brock Lesnar, you know says we'll fight when we fight and I'm going to beat your ass when we fight. 
And Samoa Joe just comes off like the toughest motherfucker. Yeah, that guy doesn't planet. care. Like everybody else fears Lesnar. I don't give a shit. And <laughs> he does. Let's go. Like, and and the thing is, this is supposed to be a one-off match. I get it. It's just kind of a time killer for Brock until he moves on to Braun or Roman or whatever they do next. As those are probably going to be the next two challengers. But I think Joe has been so good here that they might need to rethink some things. You know, yeah. I, I don't think this is a guy that you can slide back into the upper mid card. This guy deserves to be a player. This is I one mean, of those I cream really rises at the top that. moments. We talk about that. Those cream rises. You yep. give a guy the opportunity, cream rise. I mean, this guy is is grabbing the you know the brass ring or whatever the hell you want to call it. You can't, like you're saying, I don't know how you then after this, you go, okay, well, thanks, Joe. Yeah, we appreciate it. Like, you can't send him back down and have him fight with Seth Rollins. Like, you got to do something more with him right now. Yeah. And, the and, on fire, and the crowd's buying into it too, which is, is, is important as well. Yeah, they are. And he just brings a certain credibility. He brings that same kind of credibility that Brock brings. And now when you have two guys with that dynamic, and look, you know me, I love these Brock title reigns. I don't care that he's not on TV all the time. I don't care that he hardly ever defends the title because I think it makes the title more special. I think when Brock Lesnar has the big title in this company, and the universal title is the big title, not the Jinder Mahal title, it's the universal title. When he has the big title in this company, he makes that title more important. When anybody else has the big title in this company, to me, it's just another match. And, I'm, and it's hard for me to care. When Brock Lesnar has it, his matches have the big fight feel. They feel special because he's not on TV all the time. And uh, it feels special because he's not constantly defending the title. Those Lesnar-Goldberg those, Lesner, those uh, Lesner -Goldberg matches had big fight feels. You know, the Lesnar-Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania a couple years ago had a big fight feel. His matches with The Undertaker, John Cena, big fight feels. And this is going to have that same big fight feel. And I'm legitimately excited about this. And, uh, you know, so it, it's two guys that just are different than everybody else and come off there. I watched Raw today, and Samoa Joe, he had a match with Roman Reigns about three or four weeks ago. And they had a, uh, you know, the opening, they opened the show with, you know, the old duel, the Raw dueling promo deal. And Samoa Joe outclassed Roman Reigns so badly on the microphone that it was embarrassing. I mean, he just, he's just another level of credibility, you know, and that, and that's what Ro Roman Reigns lacks that. That's the thing that Roman Reigns lacks that doesn't get him over the top. And, and to me will prevent him from being the top level superstar that they expect. He doesn't have that, that realistic credibility that a guy like Joe has or a guy like Lesnar has. And, um, you know, I really think a long program with, with, with Reigns and Joe at some point would do Reigns wonders. And I'm talking about working with him on the road every night, on TV every week, learning from Samoa Joe, doing the things Samoa Joe does, getting, because I think they're similar characters. They could be similar characters. They really could be. Uh, but you know, I, it's, it's, it, but, but it's like Joe has it, whatever that is. And Roman doesn't. And it really shows when those two guys are together. But, uh, but yeah, this, this feud has clicked on all cylinders. I'm super excited about it more than a, a WWE match in a long, long time. Um, and really I look at the rest of the card and I wonder why am I so excited about this card? It's probably just because of this match because of the rest of this card is not strong. I mean, you have Roman and Braun. Now, they've had two good matches together. One that I really loved, and another match that was excellent, but this is an ambulance match, Rich, and I just can't get worked yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I hate this. I hate this gimmick so much. It's so... I can't stand ah. it. You know, and, and you would think that Braun wins this one as the next challenger for Brock, right? I mean, that seems to be the direction. Uh, uh, yeah, people have been talking about it. it there might be you don't need to heat up Roman for WrestleMania yet. You got some time. Yeah, I don't think they're waiting for WrestleMania, though. I think SummerSlam. You think they're going to do Roman and Brock at SummerSlam? I've seen people say that it might be triple threat. 
where you okay. have Brock, Roman, and Strowman at the same. Because it seems like they're kind of heating everybody up at the same time. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Now, remember, I've been out of the loop, and I only just watched all these Raws today. Haven't read any newsletters. Haven't followed the buzz. So I could be talking out of my ass. It just seems to me like Braun Brock would be next. And that's and I, I would think Roman Brock is the Mania match, right? I mean, that, that seems to be the direction they were going. Sure, it would be, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's... I don't There's know if rumor, I a lot of rumor going around that that maybe they're going to w- put it in SummerSlam or yeah I, I wouldn't do that I would wait till Mania but you know hey, whatever but yeah if Roman lose to Joe then if Roman lose to Braun at this point after that Roman's got to beat everybody right going into or does it not matter and why are we doing this because really no yeah who cares only, yeah, who gives a shit only has when's to the do last Royal Rumble right right yeah only has to do Royal Rumble so it's not worth it's not worth worrying about. Right, he can lose every match between now and Royal Rumble, win the Rumble, and they'll just stick him in the match. So they don't heat up people in a traditional way. Um, Alexa Bliss, Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks won the Gauntlets match. I don't know if you saw that on Raw. Um, Nia Jax basically dismantled everyone, and then Banks beat her at the end um, to to win the Gauntlet. Um, I got to tell you, I'm not too fired up for this either. Um, Alexa, I love the character work. i just not in love with the in-ring. Uh, but we'll see. This is a match that could surprise. It wouldn't shock me if it's good. I'm just not all that much into the story leading into it. Um, you know, but uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way as well. Um, I'm a little worried just because Bliss doesn't really do much for me in ring. And, 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 and Sasha somebody, especially, you know, main roster Sasha somebody that I don't know that she can carry this on her own. So it's not like, you know, I, I, I don't know. But that me a few times as well. So I don't know. Maybe it'll be fun. Maybe it'll be good. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm reserved about this one. I'm, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I'm going in with pretty low expectations. So if they uh, if they deliver it, it'll it'll definitely surprise me. Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt are having a feud currently. Oh boy! And I can't think. I mean, <laughs> how disinterested are you? And I have zero, less than zero interest in this. This is this. I I can't I imagine. Can't think, I can't even think, think a thought about it. To be honest, I, I mean. I mean, Seth Rollins has been having this television feud with Kurt Hawkins. And I have to tell you, it's more interesting than his feud with Bray Wyatt. <laughs> I, I, I really believe that. I mean, I yeah. find Kurt Hawkins more entertaining than Bray Wyatt, even though he's just a television jobber. Um, I have no interest in this. Um, I have no interest in anything Bray Wyatt ever does. Bray Wyatt might be the least interesting wrestler in the world for me right now. I know that might sound like a heavy statement, but I don't know if I could think of somebody I'm less interested in than Bray Wyatt as an overall performer. I just can't yeah, stand. You guys that. have like go away heat, you know, the quote unquote go away. But he's a guy that when he's on my TV, I just I want to do something else. I either want to change the channel, get up and move. I, I have no interest in seeing the guy talk. I have no interest in seeing the guy in a backstage promo. And I have no interest in seeing him in the ring. And that's that's a bad combo for a guy. Like if maybe the the character sucked and the promo sucked, but he could do it in the ring and be like, all right, whatever there's just nothing. There's nothing appealing to him. And, 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 and Seth Rollins is a guy as well. Like I, I used to really like Seth Rollins a lot. I've, I'm really kind of soured on him as of late. It's just, the matches are okay, but I don't know. It, it, he's just a guy that I, there's just no emotional attachment to anything he does. And right. Bray Wyatt, there's negative attachments to anything he does. So this is a match that really just not looking forward to. Anyway. I agree with Seth. I mean, I, I have no emotional attachment. It's a perfect way to put it. I have no emotional attachment to Seth Rollins and anything that he does. I just don't care. Um, and I think raw really is loaded with like guys that they think are top level guys. You know, you've got Brock, Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, Seth Rollins. Uh, uh, I was going to say Prince Devitt. Can you believe that? <laughs> Can you believe I was going to say Prince Devitt? Uh, Finn Balor, uh, Bray Wyatt. Uh, these guys are all considered top guys. And, you know, D- Dean Ambrose to an extent, right? It's crazy. 
But uh, some of them just have to, and that's my fear with Samoa Joe, that he'll lose this match to Brock and just fall into the Seth Rollins zone, you know, because they can't push everyone at once. You just, you can't do it. Enzo versus Big Cass. Have you seen the Enzo promos during these breakup angles? I have, because yeah. they've been fucking tremendous. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm way into this. The problem is the belt has to ring, and then that could be an issue. But yeah, the promo and the build has been great. I, I really enjoy it. I, part of me was a little disappointed that they're doing it so soon. I wanted this to last a little bit longer because I want those Enzo promos and I want the heat coming from him because I think that's what now it, it feels just too soon for me. I don't know if you have the same feeling or if you're okay with it. I want it to build a little bit more because I know that what's going to happen, Cass is going to go in there and fuck him up. And it's just like, oh, that's the end of that. And then Enzo is just kind of going to float around there forever. Like, I really wanted this to be a big, big moment. Wait, wait till SummerSlam. You know what I mean? Like, make this a really build moment, make this something that's special. I, it just seems kind of thrown away on this card at Grace Balls of Fire. I, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way. I guess it shouldn't matter with WWE, but I, I would save this to SummerSlam just because then we get ourselves, you know, five or six more weeks of Enzo cutting promos, which I think are, are well worth it. You stole my talking point. I think they're rushing to the match. I know that it was a sort of a, a long-term, slower sort of deal going through the, the stages of the breakup, but I think you didn't have to do the match on this show. I think you could have waited to do the match. Um, so yeah, I agree with that, but the Enzo promos have been great. I think if it's just big cast beating the shit out of him, that's the best route to go in terms of the match structure. Cause Enzo can sell. He sells his ass off. Um, he's just not much of an offensive wrestler. Um, and he's just not that great of a overall worker, but he's great as a babyface in peril and tag situations. And I think that the dynamic of the, you know, at least the guy who's, you know, in kayfabe, the seven foot wrestler beating the shit out of him can, can work well. Um, and I think that's what they'll do. I don't think they're going to work a 50, 50 match. As far as the team breaking up as a whole, do you have a problem with them doing that now? Do you have a problem with them doing that period? Uh, I think they were just spinning their wheels. It felt like it was a little early, but at the same time, where are they really going? Yeah, that's, that's how, when it initially happened, I was like, Oh man, like, why do you break? Uh, not, no, no, it's too soon too. And then I'm, I'm kind of thinking as the weeks have gone on and it's kind of like, Am I going to really miss them as a tag team? I, I don't know necessarily. I think, in a sense, it might be a pretty good idea to, to to get these guys in the different. I mean, figure out what you got with Big Cass. If it's really something you're going to do with this guy, and you really think that he's something, you know, try it out. And Enzo, I mean, the clock was ticking on him being an in ring. Uh, we, we've been saying it for for years now. It's like this guy. He's a manager. He's an announcer. He's a hype man. He's not a wrestler. And it might be time to maybe this is it for him. Maybe then then they put him to a different role or something like that. Because I just don't know that he was going to do. So I guess it was sort of this like shit or get off the pot sort of moment with this team. It's like where's the peak for them? Where are they going? Maybe there wasn't anywhere. Seems soon though. Like you're saying on the on its face, it just seems like it happened too soon. But then when you really look at it in totality, it's like yeah. I I mean yeah. Where are they going? What are they doing? maybe it's time to figure out what you got with these guys. So yeah, initially I was a little upset. And then as it went on, I was like, yeah, you know what? Why not? You know, go for it. Miz versus Ambrose, the never ending feud for the intercontinental title, spanning several shows, spanning several pay-per-views. I have no interest in this. Um, Who could? I I mean, honestly, who could? Who could honestly be like, oh man, Miz Ambrose, let's find out finally once and for all. They both need to move on. I hated the match at the last pay-per-view with the stupid stipulation with the, uh, you know, changes hands on the DQ. It didn't work. Um, I have no interest in watching these two wrestle again. I just don't. Um, so I'm probably not. I'm going to go into this grumpy. And as a result, no matter how good it is, I'm probably not going to like it. Yeah, the problem, too, is their chemistry fucking sucks, too. Like, I know some people, but I, I thought their last few matches have just been horrible. So that's something I'm a little bit worried about, too. It's just like that. I don't know that if the matches were awesome and the story was kind of boring or whatever. Okay, that's one thing. But, oh man, like the, the in-ring has just been 
pretty shitty too. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah, just just move on. I got nothing. Cesaro and Sheamus versus the Hardys. 30-minute Iron Man match for the tag team titles. You can take your goofy stick uh, stipulation and shove it. I have no interest in the Iron Man stip. Um, I'm just not a big Hardy Boys guy. I don't know. Uh, they're, they work hard. They have matches that I like, but for whatever reason, throughout the annals of history, I've never gotten into this team. And I see their name on a match sheet, and I'm never excited about it, even though they do deliver. I it just I, is is that weird? I don't know. I just I've never liked them. I've never been into their act. I I don't know. Um, I understand their appeal. I understood their appeal, uh, you know, to like teenage girls and stuff and the attitude there. I totally got it. I get their appeal now. I think we're kind of just biding our time until they get their rights to their uh, broken gimmick, and uh, we're killing time until then. My only hope here is the drifter is involved somehow. The drifter is a <laughs> the drifter is a great man. You're all in on the drifter. I am all in on the drifter. On the drifter. Yeah. He is a great man. Um, I enjoy his songs. And uh, he's been hanging out with Cesaro and Sheamus. And I would like to see him involved in this match in some form. Yeah, as far as this match, I mean, I, I don't like the Iron Man stipulations. So that doesn't help. And uh, the Cesaro- Escape the Cage thing was goofy last oh, month. You know what I mean? Just- don't you get me started on that. That was, that was bad. Yeah, I'm, yeah. It, it, I like Cesaro and Sheamus a lot. That team has really grown on me a little bit. I think it's it, it, ultimately it's a waste for Cesaro in a lot of ways because I think he, he could do more. But if this is where they see him and that's the level they see him, I'm fine with that team. I'm kind of with you on the Hardys, and I've been on the, that thing with the Hardys for a while. I mean, you know, I, I thought I found the broken thing kind of funny for a little bit, but the in ring never did anything for me, particularly in TNA. Those guys never did anything for me. I I got to go back to TLC until the last time that those guys did anything for me, and that was just because you know they were you know madmen, you know putting themselves through tables, and I was 13 years old, and that was the best thing in the world for me. I, as far as anything other than that, there was nothing really that did much. Well, oddly, that's when they've been at their best as when they're 40. I mean, the yeah, Ring of right. Honor match where they, you know what I mean? So right, it's like, exactly. Yeah, it's it's always the work, shortcut matches when they work the straight stuff. It's never done much for me. And there there was a time, remember when Matt Hardy was like, you know, the internet's favorite worker of like 2005, 2007. Remember that when it was just like, oh, Matt Hardy's doing that, and I was, I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I guess. Like these Matt I Hardy, didn't, I didn't get it either. Yeah, I these Matt Hardy MVP matches, and I'm like, okay, like they're, I guess they're they happened, but I don't know that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Like he was the internet super worker for a few years there and I, I never got it then and I, I still yeah I'm, I'm kind of down so yeah the, the only thing that's going to save it for them is if they go out there and kill themselves because that's really where they're at their best but I don't think they're really looking to do that anymore I know Matt's not looking to do that maybe Jeff is but yeah uh, 30 minutes is gonna be a long time for these guys and it's gonna feel like an eternity as well in this match and that, that's my worry is like if you have a normal match it'll be like all right cool we'll, we'll play to that finish or whatever but this is like you got to strap in for 30 minutes, and I, I don't know that Matt and Jeff have it for, for 30 minutes, especially, Here's I guess, the guys like Cesaro and Sheamus. So. I'm probably going to like this, right? But I just can't get excited about it. Yeah, it'll probably be fine. Like, it'll be good. Like, they're never bad. Like, the Hardys never go out there and just have an absolute dud. You're like, oh, that match fucking sucked. Like, it's not going to be a, a, a sucky match. It's just, like, you kind of just want it to be over. <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I guess th- there probably are still people that have an emotional attachment to the Hardys. So, for them, they're probably really looking forward to this. But, yeah, I, me, I can't. I guess my question for you is, do they win the tag titles here? Finally. No, I think they're holding off until they get the broken gimmick. I agree too. Yeah. So that then we're in a holding pattern again. Like I think maybe that's the in the bubble wrestling fan thing where we know that this is like ongoing litigation. So we know that they're just kind of in a holding pattern until that point, until they can find out one way or another whether they're doing that gimmick. So that probably hurts us a little bit where maybe fans that aren't in that bubble don't necessarily see it the same way and are coming in going, Oh man, I hope the Hardys win the titles or whatever. So I, I guess that's probably part of it too. But yeah, there's there's not a lot of interest in this match, even though, like you said, it's probably gonna be okay. But there's the, the emotional attachment is just not there for, for really either of the teams, but uh, in particular the Hardys. 
I have a very important question for you to close the show. And I haven't told you this is coming. Okay. But I have a big, I got a big time question <clears throat> for you. All right. But first, Rich, do you know how to get a great shave at a great price conveniently delivered right to your door? I don't, but I hope you're going to tell me right now. It's with Dollar Shave Club, which is the smarter choice. You no longer have to schlep to the store to buy cheap disposable razors that give you a cheap disposable shave. You don't have to spend a fortune on razors with gimmicky shaving technology that you don't even need. When I use my DSC executive razor with their Dr. Carver shave butter, the blade just gently glides, giving me such a smooth shave. I shave today, in fact, Rich. I'm very smooth right now. The Dr. Carver well, shave butter is smooth, tra- but now your face is smooth. Though. My face is smooth as well. It's correct. The Dr. Carver shave butter is transparent for a more precise shave, helps prevent ingrown hairs, and it fights razor bumps. You too can make the smarter choice by joining Dollar Shave Club for a limited time. New members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of the Dr. Carver shave shave butter for only five dollars with free shipping. After that, the razors are only a few bucks a month. That's a fifteen dollar value for only five bucks. In your first month box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of the Dr. Carver shave butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There are no hidden fees, there are no commitments, and you cancel anytime you like. You can get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. So, Rich, I have a very important question for you before we close up the show. You, as everybody knows, are a man who hates elimination matches. You just cannot stand them. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, they are maybe your most hated facet. Despise them. Yeah, cannot. Yeah. There's, a, there's something else you hate, too. You hate the WWE pre-show match on the award-winning <laughs> WWE Network. So I have a question for you. You always skip the pre-show match. You hate the pre-show match. You are – there's some sort of – you're just against the idea of the pre-show match to the point that you won't even watch them, Rich. The pre-show match at Great Balls of Fire is Neville, who's perhaps been the WWE Wrestler of the Year, defending the Cruiserweight title against Akira Tozawa in a rematch of their Open the Brave Gate match from, I guess, 2012, 11, something like that. Will you watch the pre-show match? A point I know they've they've hammered home on TV as well that this is the rematch of the, right. the, the famous Dragon Gate match that everybody knows about. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Will you watch as Barry Murphy, who is a listener, uh, who killed me on Twitter earlier by calling this the Open the Arena match? <laughs> Will you watch the Open the Arena match between Neville and Akira Tozawa? I think I kind of have to, don't I? I can't miss this one. This is like because this is honestly when when you look at it, my probably my second most anticipated match on the entire show. It is my second most anticipated. So I'd be a real goober if I didn't watch it. So I, I feel like I got going to get the pre-show commercial break after a dive. And they've officially said it's one hundred percent. It's the pre-show, right? It is the open the arena match. Yes. Damn it. Um, I guess I got it. So I'll have to get my food ready at six uh, fifteen as opposed to six thirty. So I'll tell you, you have skipped other good pre-show matches in the past. What makes you? Uh, change your Tazawa. policy. Tozawa, man. That's my guy. Even even with Titus O'Neil in the corner. That's still Tozawa, though. Still Tozawa. That's that guy, that's my guy. I mean, that, that I've been waiting for them to do something with him. It'd be very uh, you know, I can't I can't say use him, use him, use him, and then they finally use him, and then I don't watch, right? I mean, that's I'm no hypocrite on the show. I would never be. So no, yeah, that's 
And, and you know, Neville can have those good pre... I mean, if they give them a lot of time, which I'm assuming, you know, with it being the pre-show, and of course, you're going to have the commercial break or whatever, but I assume they're going to give these dudes a, a decent amount of time. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are great. And, yeah, I, I, it'd be hypocritical if I didn't watch Akira Tozawa in there. I've been screaming for them to do something with him or finally put him in a big spot. And this is the biggest spot he's probably... I mean, would you would you argue this is his biggest spot that he's been in? Who, Tozawa-wise? Yeah. Yeah, it's a title match. Yeah, I mean, th- this has got to be, right? His, his biggest mm-hmm. spot. So, yeah, it'd be awful hypocritical if I go, I'll put him in a big spot, put him in a big spot, and I, then I skip it. So it better it better be at 630. Don't, don't hit me with this, like, 610 bullshit. I think he should lose, and I think he will lose. But oh, yeah. Tazawa? Yeah, Tazawa's yeah. going to lose for sure, but that's fine. I think Mustafa Ali should beat Neville. I like it. Yeah, he's great. I think I think the Neville title run has been great. I think Neville arguably has been the wrestler of the year in this company. I think he's neck and neck with Pete Dunne, in my view, as the two best overall performers in the company this year, which is amazing for Pete Dunne when you think about it, when he's had, what, like five matches in the company. But uh, but still, I think it's neck and neck between Neville and Dunne. Um, I think the Neville title run, um, now that uh, uh, Kento Miyahara has dropped the Triple Crown, and, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, Neville and Asuka, are the two best champions uh, and Okada, of course, uh, in terms of just dominant champ. I, you know, I love a dominant champion, Rich. Uh, I love the Neville title run. Um, I, I loved the Austin Aries feud. I think people are going to look back at that feud in a few years um, and, and just uh, it's going to get more credit in hindsight than it got in real time because those were great matches that built on one another and uh, had great match to match storytelling and psychology. And they didn't get the credit that they deserved. That's going to be one where someone's going to have like a, a pack, like a download pack or whatever, where you watch yeah. all five of them, you know, back to, or whatever the hell the number was. I forgot. It was WrestleMania that. until whatever the show was called last yeah, month. So whatever number they had, and you're going to watch them back to back to back to back. And then it's going to be like, Oh shit, that was really good. You know what I mean? One of those things where people go back, you know, in 10 years and watch all, you know, these two dudes feud. And then they watch them and, you know, whatever, a Pelman Liger or whatever, you look at those and instead right. of it being a three-year gap, you watch them back-to-back and go, wow, damn, those guys, absolutely. it's going to be one of those where you're going to watch five of those matches in a row and go, holy shit, those guys were great. And you have to, Whereas, if you watch their matches in order, that's the key too because they right, really yeah, yeah. build on one another from match to match. So, and I don't think they got the real-time review credit that they deserved, um, but they're, they, you know, years from now, people are going to appreciate them a, a lot more and I think Neville has had a great, Neville's so great. I mean, he's just awesome in everything he does. His character work, his promos. Um, you know, he's he's such an asshole. You know, he'll take the shortcut when he has to. But then again, he beats guys without the shortcut too. So he has the, that credibility. But because he's a prick and he's a heel, he'll take the shortcut if he can, uh, which he did against Aries several times. So I think he should beat Tazawa. I think the guy that should end the long run and get the rub of ending that long run is Mustafa Ali who I noted on Twitter today, and I'd like to know your take on this. I think he might be the most underrated wrestler in the world. I think he's that good. And I don't think a lot of people realize how good Mustafa Ali is. Now, I know you're a guy who has seen him on the indies because he's from your neck of the woods. I've seen him on the indies. I know he performs very well featured match just as well as he does in these short television matches. He's a great offensive wrestler. He's a great uh, seller. He does everything well. The guy is super crisp and smooth in the ring. I don't think this guy has many flaws as a worker, you know, and I've seen him work all sorts of different scenarios. He's the most underrated wrestler in the world, and I think they would be, and he's lost to Neville a few times already. Someone on Twitter pointed this out. I'd love to give them credit. I forget who it was when we were talking about this. So there's a built-in story, right, of progression, of learning from his mistakes against this guy, and then eventually knocking him off for the title. And I think he'd be a perfect guy. He's a great baby face. He has a great gimmick, a great character. Look, he has it all. 
Uh, so I think if someone's going to knock off Neville, it should be Mustafa Ali. What do you think? Yeah, no, I like it a lot. Because, and one of the things that's, that's great about him is nobody can get a crowd. I shouldn't say nobody, but he's so good at getting the crowd invested in whatever he does. He's got this like just natural charisma where when he's out there and he's he's posing in front of the crowd or yelling at the crowd, they can't help but just get dragged into him. I mean, he's got this certain way where, where there's this energy that he exudes that that so few guys do, and he's he's kept that to WWE. That's what I was kind of worried about when he went to WWE, and they you know kind of strip it down a little bit. Make, it doesn't matter. He could still do that where where he can do one little scream to the crowd, and and they're into him, and they they like it. And he's just so dynamic and so quick too when he wants to just get a bunch of moves in there he, he just does it with such fury and such speed or whatever that that it's just it, 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 you can't help but kind of root for the guy and, and and he's got a great story as well he's got a great twitter presence he's a guy that's very you know very open and transparent about his story or whatever i think there's a lot of things they could do with this guy if they really just wanted him to be mustafa Ali. you don't have to do anything with this guy either he's got a great story he's got a great personality he's got charisma he can go in the ring like He's a ready-made guy. You just gotta, you know, get, you know, put the keys in the ignition and let him go. I mean, that that's so. There's a benefit to that for sure to, to do it with him. Yeah, I, I I'm fine with it. And and for people that don't might might not know, you sort of uh, alluded to it a little bit there. I mean, this is a guy who can do your two-minute match. We saw it on Raw this past week where he can lose in two minutes and make it look great. And he's a guy that can also go 15 minutes and win and make it look great. Like he he works in those big main events. He works in big feuds. He can go he 30 minutes and have a great he, time yeah. event match too. I've seen. I mean, I've seen that too. I've seen I've seen 30 minute blood feuds at the end. I've seen you know I've seen 15 to 20 minute you know sprints where he's out there doing a bunch. Of, I mean, he can do that. He can do a ground game sort of work. He doesn't have to be flipping around and doing. You know, he he can work a very grounded game, a I very you know brawling sense. So too. I don't yeah, think oh, no, a, absolutely. Yeah, he. Uses when he needs to yeah he he doesn't go out there and kill himself because he's smart and and again like the story is just right there for you and if you follow his twitter account you know his story you know what he believes in and what what he stands for or whatever i think all the signs point to this guy being somebody that that like when it's all said and done if he's just on this roster and and what we have now is the peak it'd be a tremendous disappointment and absolute fumble by WWE because they have something special with him um and i hope they know it and i i think maybe they do but i it's hard to tell with this company sometimes but uh, yeah, I'm right with you. I think when you talk about underrated guys, I mean, he's, he's absolutely right up there. So he's got just, he doesn't get his due uh, for what it – and a lot of it was he just didn't leave the Chicago area for a long time, and now he, he finally made the leap, and and people are starting to see a little bit more now. So it might take a few years before people yeah. – it kind of clicks with people. But, yeah, no, he, he's been underrated for years. He didn't really get – he really didn't get booked – and the quote unquote super indie scene until the tail end of his indie. Run. Yeah, right, right. And that's when he first, he, that's when he finally said, I, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's do this thing. Let's make this sort of work. Cause he was always the guy that was sort of in between his real job and wrestling. And it was cop, like, right? yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. And people, and, and a legit cop. Yeah. So people were, you know, he always was like, oh, this is a nice stable job and wrestling is wrestling. I do it for fun. And something got into him where he said, no, let, let's, let's make this happen. This is my last chance at this dream. And this is what we've seen the last few years. And we've seen, you know, this mega, you know, a mega star in Chicago grow to now, you know, potential budding star for WWE. So yeah, no, I think I think sky's the limit for him if, if they want to do it, which yeah, I, I, I like it. I like your idea of getting it on a baby face too. This cruiserweight title has been on heels for a long time. It'd be nice to get it on a nice genuine baby face guy. And I think uh, Mustafa, that that's his game too. Let the guy cut a promo. Let him tell a story. You know, those Roderick strong pieces that we saw in NXT do one with Mustafa Ali. Yeah. I'm a cop. I love my kids. I do this. You know, it, it, it's not hard. It's easy. Just tell the guy's story. He's a real life guy. That's a, that's it's so it's it's a layoff, but you know uh, other stuff going on. I just want to let you know voiceswrestling.com for the rest of our pol- uh, columns and podcasts and reviews and all that other stuff. Uh, our podcast network with a few new shows popping up as well. Uh, you want to subscribe uh, on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, however you want to get those podcasts. Also, make sure you give us a review if you like what we do, you like what Burning Spirits does, you like what any of the shows on our network do. Go there, give it a review, let other people know about it, share it, subscribe, all the other good stuff. 
Um, also, voiceofwrestling.com slash forums. That's where our great uh, forums are. We have a, we talk about it all the time. We have that Australian wrestling thread, which is incredible. Someone started an Indian indie wrestling thread. I mean, that's like the country of India, indie wrestling. And that's like, stuff like that is what I love about our board, is that some guy said, hey, you know what? No one's given any due to Indian wrestling, so here's a bunch of videos of, of, of legit Indian wrestling, and that's awesome. Like, I, And there's already one match that I want to check out. There's like a few right there, and then Australian thread is great. It's just a lot, of, a great community right now of guys that are on there. So voicewrestling.com slash forums to go on there. Uh, also, stay tuned for uh, details about the G1 Pick'em, the New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Pick'em. Uh, we'll either announce it on our Twitter account, at Voices Wrestling, or on the forums, uh, voicewrestling.com slash forums. You get a lot of information on that. Look for that in the next few days. Uh, possibly by the time you listen to this, it'll be up and running uh, so you can make your picks and see if you can win some great prizes. We have some uh, good stuff lined up for prizes this year, so I think a lot of people will be impressed and surprised what we have. So uh, definitely check that out. And Joe, anything else before we uh, bid adieu? Oh, man. We're good to go. You are done. So, all right. For Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech. We'll see you next time on the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app firehouse subs enjoy more subs save more lives participating locations limited time only plus tax prices may vary for delivery